I want to welcome you to the Retro Rogues Live podcast. This is a segment from last week's live video show. The live show is available every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on Twitch, YouTube, and Twitter. Simply search for BaseGod14. That's B-A-S-S-G-O-D-1-4 on either YouTube, Twitch, or Twitter. And now, on with the show. I want to welcome you to the Retro Rogues Live. Please pay attention to our warning graphic. It states that the Retro Rogues Live show is intended for an adult audience and not intended for children under the age of 13. Parental discretion is advised. Again, I want to welcome you here to the show. On tonight's show, we're going to be talking about episodes three and four of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're also going to be continuing our Collector's Corner segment with some new interesting recommendations, as well as also covering pop culture news and the streaming wars. But enough about that. My name is Dave Beatty. I'm one of your hosts. I've been a professional illustrator and graphic designer for nearly 30 years, um, and I've also been a lifelong comic book fan. But most people might know me for some of the projects I've worked on, such as Batman Incorporated, Justice League of America, and Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. I want to welcome back my co-host. This is Mr. Eric Alexander. Eric, please tell the folks, hopefully watching or listening at home, some of the fun projects you have worked on as a creative professional. Yes, hello, everyone. I'm Eric Alexander, also known as Bass God 14. That's Bass God 14, not Bass God. That's Bass God, like a bass guitar. I'm the chief financial officer of a small production company called Bad Bob Productions, which is located in Arizona. And I am also the executive producer of a film called Staycation, uh, which currently is on Indiegogo in its on-demand phase and uh, actually going to be uh, filming again uh, in, in May. So we're excited about that. We're going to be filming a lot of the cameos that we sold um, on our, our crowdfunder. We're going to be doing that in May and June. All right. Very cool. All right. So we're going to go ahead and get into our main topic. We're going to start off by talking about episodes. Again, we're, we're doing two episodes. We're doing episode three and episode four of Fact of the Winter Soldier. This, of course, is a power broker and the whole world is watching. Um, we're going to start off by staying spoiler free. Spoiler free. We're not going to talk about anything, any as far as specific details. Just talking about our general impressions of the first two episodes. I think we should just talk about it, Eric, if you don't mind, just say how we felt about ep episode three and then how we feel about episode four. Um, and then at that point, we're going to give everyone the spoiler warning and then we're going to get into the nitty gritty. Um, all right. So um, I'll go ahead and go first, if that's okay, because I'm going to be go really ahead. quick. Um, so episode three, the, the summary basically states that Sam and Bucky go to a criminal safe haven to find out information about the super soldier serum. And then the summary for episode four is John Walker loses patience with Sam and Bucky as they learn more about Carly Morgenthau. So my general impression of episode, uh, three and four is pretty much as follows. Episode three, I thought was okay. Um, episode four, I was pretty impressed with. And I'm genuinely curious to see if they can pull this off. So that is uh, my impressions, episodes three and four. <laughs> I don't have a whole lot more to add to that because it involves way too many spoilers. I've been re trying to reread all the comic books that feature John Walker to kind of see you know, how that kind of lines up with what they've been doing. Um, but uh, that's our general impression. Episode three, I liked it. It was okay. Episode four, pretty impressed. I really wonder if they can pull this off. Eric, what were your impressions of episodes three and four of Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Well, I feel we're in pretty, pretty, pretty well synced uh, this time because for me, Power Broker was a little bit of a filler episode. I think that's the way that I would say it. it's like 
certain things, I guess, sort of had to happen in Power Broker in order to advance the story. Um, but it didn't really do a whole lot for me. Um, there is, I guess, a character that appears uh, in Power Broker um, that I think some people might have been anticipating, and I really wasn't. Um, so I wasn't really that impressed. I'll get into it in the spoilers uh, as far as, as the character that we got to see there that, that was sort of highlighted, if you will. Um, but it, 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 to me, Power Broker felt like just sort of a, an okay episode, as you mentioned, but mostly filler. It's like certain things just had to happen to advance the story, uh, to get us to where I think we needed to be later. Um, and it, 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 again, to me, it's kind of like a filler episode. Uh, the whole world is watching episode four. I was impressed with. Um, I I did think that they had some uh, incredible action sequences, uh, and they really did a good job in really upping the ante. Um, and I finally feel like I kind of understand what the show is supposed to be now. And by the way, that that isn't necessarily a good thing for for a, a television show. That you know, considering this is a miniseries, it's what six episodes, Dave. I think that's the total run, right? Yeah, six, six episodes. episodes. So it, it's a it's it's a relatively short miniseries, um, although I guess that's what half that's half a season now in 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 uh, streaming speak right because now that the standard seems to be ten episodes for streaming shows although some are as short as eight, uh, but this is obviously a miniseries and it's kind of weird to be to get all the way to the fourth episode before you really feel like I know what it is, is go, that's going on like I like I kind of feel like. The first three episodes were kind of setting everything up, right? So that we kind of have the, the players, you know, almost like a board of chess, you know, where, where you have the you have the pieces set exactly right. right. And it did take a little too long, in my opinion, to get there. But once they got there, I do feel more excited about the show. And definitely by the end of episode four, I was feeling it. I was like, this is pretty game changing and exciting. Um but again, it just felt like it took so long to figure out who the characters were and I guess the different sides because one of the things I do like about Falcon the Winter Soldier is I feel like it's not like it's not like two sides, right? It's like every single character seems to have their own agenda. You know, and and I do like that because they're even though a lot of the characters most of them I don't I'm not I'm not on board with their agenda, like I'm just not like I could care less about you, I could really care less about you. I did find a character that I, I was actually starting to root for. And I was like, I'm really kind of liking this character. And I think you're going to be surprised, uh, Dave, when I tell you who that is. I think a lot of people might be surprised when I say who's my favorite character at this point in the Falcon and Winter Soldier. But definitely I feel that uh, the, the whole world watching uh, was, was much stronger uh, than any other episode. Interestingly enough, if you do go on IMDb, it is the highest rated episode. I did check before the show. So clearly that is a good thing for a show to be on an upward you know, trajectory where, where the, the interest is mounting and people are saying, hey, episode four is better than episode three and episode three was better than episode two, which was better than episode one. You know, um, I do think that's good for the show. My only big criticism is, again, it does seem like it took an awful long time for a very short uh, series to get there where I kind of now feel like I know what's going on and I know what these people are about and what their agendas are. It's interesting too because the the show has definitely taken kind of a circuitous what do you call it? Cir I'm trying to use circuitous and saying that wrong, but you know what I mean. I know what you mean. I know it's, what you it's mean. Taken, they've taken a long time to finally get to where they are, um, but you know, as I was, we were texting late one night, and so I was telling you 
The show has asked some really interesting questions. I'm just genuinely curious if they're going to be able to answer them. That that's <laughs> that's 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 where I'm kind of a little concerned because because we're 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 at the cliff of trope town here if we're not careful. Um, and and yeah, I that's see, true. That's very yeah, true. It would be really easy to just kind of just take the easy path, and I hope they don't do that. Um, I really hope that if because if you're going to ask these questions, you, you better be prepared to really take a little bit of time to really explore them because I feel like that you you could cast a couple of these characters in in the wrong light if you just go straight to trope town. You, you need to really you need to really take a minute, you know. And and, and I'm hoping they do. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I, I will well, say interesting. If you use WandaVision as a barometer, I am not that optimistic. Uh, I, I really feel like WandaVision had the opportunity to do the same thing where they really could have, have gone beyond the tropes. Uh, they really could have made uh, the characters a little bit more dynamic, specifically um, the director of S.W.O.R.D. Uh, I, I think, you know, I was really disappointed uh, where they went with that character and just made him sort of a stock villain, uh, for, for lack of a better term. Um, so, you know, it, it's... If you use that as a barometer, I'm not necessarily uh, uh, optimistic, but I haven't seen it yet. So you never know, right? This is a different creative team. Um, you know, even though it's still, I think, under obvious under Feige's, uh, uh, you know, grand umbrella, um, it is a different show. So, and it, it has a very different tone too, compared to WandaVision. Uh, the, the, you know, WandaVision was very strange, you know, a very strange show. Uh, whereas Falcon and the Winter Soldier is a little bit more straightforward. You know, it's kind of feels more like that sort of action spy thriller kind of thing. Yeah, and it, it's interesting too, because, and this will sound strange, but episode four gave me a lot of hope um, that they might actually be able to do Moon Knight and do it justice, which will sound kind of weird. Um, but it, it's just, I just, I was kind of surprised that they went there, but you know, there was a couple things I was like going, wow. Okay. All right. So you're going to really, you're going to really go there. Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's get into it. You know? And, and it made me even more excited for moon Knight because they've shown a little bit of edge. That means that, and then, cause I've seen a lot of footage of Oscar Isaac. This isn't spoilers. This is, this is public information. Go on Instagram. You can watch it, but Oscar Isaac and the fight team and the, the stunt, the stunt coordinators and all the stunt players have been releasing a lot of footage of Oscar Isaac actually training for Moon Knight. And it's some amazing looking footage. And um, I've been really enjoying watching it. And Oscar Isaac is really putting in the work to, to really try to bring Moonlight, Moon Knight to life. And I'm very, very excited about that. And then when I saw this episode and I saw kind of what they did, I was like, okay, well, may, maybe we are going to have, you know, we, maybe we are going to deal with, you know, Moon Knight's issues in terms of like his schizophrenia, you know, the fact his paramilitary background, the fact he was a mercenary, like maybe we really are going to be able to go there, you know, because I was beginning to wonder because a lot of the big conversation, you know, surrounding, um, for example, Disney Plus is this idea of, well, you know, can they really, you know what I mean? Can they really go there? Because it's a Disney show. They're not going to do this. They're not going to do that. And so um, that's the thing that has me really excited because now I feel like that we maybe we are going to get a proper Moon Knight show. So um, we'll see how it unfolds. It's a weird thing to say that because I know we're supposed to talk about Falcon and Winter Soldier, but that's the thing. It has me a little bit more excited that, you know, maybe Marvel's version of Batman is might be something special. And, and that's what I'm hoping for. So, 
Yeah, I, I really get that. I think that there, I can understand that where there might be some concerns. I actually think that Disney has to has to be very careful because I, I'm of that opinion that uh, Disney can very easily uh, damage their 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 brand, uh, possibly beyond repair if they're not careful. So there is a, a tightrope uh, to be walked, and definitely this pushes the envelope. There's no doubt about it. Falcon of the Winter Soldier definitely pushes the envelope of what someone might think is appropriate for Disney plus or what Disney plus might actually do. They are definitely pushing, you know, pushing to the edge. Right. And that, and that's what has me excited is the idea, you know, like, like I don't want to see, like, I don't want to watch Moon Knight, you know, kill a bunch of people necessarily. You know what I mean? But what I'm saying is, is that I just like the idea that because of the basically sort of, the precedent that episode four sets, I'm I'm even more hopeful that Moon Knight might actually turn out to be something special, um, because it you know and it's interesting because it's like I'm looking forward to the Robert Pattinson Batman, but there's all this sort of you know questionable rumors going around about things <laughs> that were going on behind the scenes, and it has me kind of like going, yeah, yeah, and, and it it doesn't exactly fill me with a lot of you know enthusiasm for it, <laughs> and I'm a huge Batman fan. But when I see Oscar Isaac out there putting in the work, I'm like, oh, yeah. Because I, I, if I know our main star is willing to put in that work to bring Moon Knight to life, you know, then, you know, I, I'm more confident, you know what I mean, that that we may actually get something special. And and I think it'd be awesome because it'd be so fun to have Batman running around the Marvel Universe, for lack of a better way to put it. And so... Um, I just really, I'm really excited for it. And, and it's kind of a strange thing. It's probably a little too fanboy because you did accuse me of being a little too fanboy about this stuff. And you probably got a point, Eric, but, <laughs> but it's just for me, having grown up, you know, reading about some of these characters, you know, specifically like Walker, like, you know, Walker's not your, you know, your traditional Captain America by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, Walker was never a traditional Captain America, even in the comics, you know, he had, to use another, uh, again, Batman analogy, Walker in the comic books, U.S. agent in the comic books, had more in common with Azrael, who became Batman for a period of time, than, you know what I mean, than being a traditional Captain America. Um, but anyhow, we'll get into that a little bit more in the spoilers. But yeah, I like I said, I really enjoyed um, episode four a lot. Um, I, I feel like it, it, it asked some interesting questions, and I'm really hoping they're going to be able to stick the landing and and pull it together. But you do make a good point, Eric. As, as much as I like WandaVision, there was kind of some things that, that definitely were sort of, you know, not quite what I was expecting. But I have high hopes because one of the things that WandaVision did give us is they did give us the white vision, the spectral vision. Whether he returns at some point down the road as a villain <laughs> or a hero has, has yet to be determined. But it's just a version of that character. Again, I grew up, you know, he, that was my version of Vision I read mostly about in the comic books when I was, you know, growing up. So um, I'm really excited for all this. So we'll see. We'll see. It's, it, you know, it's a weird period of Marvel comics to, you know, kind of address. I can't remember what they called this period in comics, but they tried to reinvent all of the heroes. So Thor got that armor he had, remember, and then, and then, you know, the Hulk was gray and eventually became known as Mr. Fix-It. You know, you had, you know, Steve Rogers stopped being Captain America and he was the captain. And then Walker was actually Captain America. And, you know, Spider-Man had the black costume, 
you know, like it was it was really weird because it's that period in time in which Marvel basically tried to reinvent all their heroes for kind of like a new new era, right? And so it's interesting that they've picked so many of these versions of these characters to start the Disney Plus era off with, right? It's because because I'm kind of like, well, this is interesting, but a little strange. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I think specifically what's going on with Walker is really interesting. But going back to what you were saying before, I, I do have that worry that we, we could be headed to Trope Town uh, very, very quickly. Um, but I, I'm hoping not. I, I'm hoping because the, the character has definitely become a lot more interesting to me uh, th than he was in any previous episode. So I, I hope they don't they don't uh, they don't you know they don't mess that up and 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 kind of just just make him, you know sometimes what happens I think you can see especially with MCU and again using WandaVision as the uh, as as sort of the sort of the the what's the word I'm looking for sort of as as, as the standard right because there isn't anything like else the benchmark to, to yeah because there's nothing else to really compare it to at right. this point so it's like. The, the problem that I feel a lot of times is that what, and actually this is a problem of the MCU in general, is, is a lot of times they underdevelop a lot of the supporting characters and the villains in particular are very underdeveloped and, and very, um, very poorly done, quite frankly, uh, because, you know, every, all the good lines and everything need to go to the star and they do have a tendency to do that. Um, I am seeing some evidence they are not going necessarily that route. Uh, especially when I mentioned who my favorite character is. Um, but uh, which, by the way, that's not really a spoiler, but I, I, so I'm just going to go there. Like you've been talking about how you're kind of enjoying Walker and you grew up with that. I'm really enjoying Zemo. I think Zemo is the star of the show at this point. I really like that character. And I think his motivations actually make sense to me. I'm actually rooting for the guy. I actually really like Baron Zemo. Well, and that's interesting. Should we go ahead and get into the spoiler part? Because I have a lot of things I want to say about Zemo, but it's definitely spoilery. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, want to acknowledge the uh, the the uh, the Rogues uh, Gallery here. We got uh, PJ in the house. He's saying, "Hey guys." He says he's here for some retro Rogues action. So we appreciate that, PJ. Thank you very much for joining us on the show. Uh, and please also, uh, for those of you that are not familiar with it, Orville Nation has some amazing content. That is a great show. It's not just Orville. Uh, they actually do a, a Dark Matters show, I think, every Monday, right, PJ? And, of course, you do all sorts of other sci-fi, a lot of Star Trek. Uh, in fact, I was on Orville Nation one time talking about Picard. So, you know, uh, or they don't just do Orville, although I think Orville stuff is definitely uh, getting more and more buzz as season three is becoming more and more anticipated. Yeah, I started to pop in, but we had to do show prep for the show, and I saw that uh, Orville Nation was, I think, you know, PJ could clarify it, but he, I think he might have just finished an episode. But they had a, a graphic I was confused by that was like a banana with spider legs and a weird little tendril, little <laughs> claw thing sticking out of it. And I was with a bunch of eyes. I didn't know if it was a reference to something they were talking about or or if it was like a, an unusual reference to the thing, John Carpenter's The Thing. And I was, uh, and it was some different people talking. It's like, well, I'm way too early for the show. I was like, so am I. But anyhow. Um, <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, no. Or, yeah, Orville Nation's a, a, a really great uh, show. I highly, highly recommend it. And PJ's awesome. Um, so, you know, it, it's, um, it's curious because I, I have been really wanting to recommend, for example, like in the Collector's Corner, 
I really want to recommend one of my favorite Zemo stories because of Falcon Winter Soldier. But from a speculation standpoint, there's no reason to recommend it other than it's got one of the coolest splash pages of, of Baron Zemo ever. And it's just a great Avengers story. But there's no there's no speculation behind it. You know, it's not going to go up in value. You know what I mean? You don't it's not think so? Anything. I was going to specifically ask you that in Collector's Corner, and I will bring it up again in Collector's Corner. I am wondering if there is that perfect Baron Zemo story that's really cheap out there that might be a really good flip, you know, a really good spec comic. Well, I, here's the thing. A lot of, there are Zemo books that are picking up in value right now. Um, and the reason I haven't been recommending them is because they're already like over our threshold and the books oh, that I want to recommend, they're already yeah, valuable. Yeah. They're, they're already a little too high. I mean, you chase them if you want, but I tend to try to recommend the collector's corner. I try to recommend books that are extremely affordable. You know, you got $10, you got $20. Here's something fun to hold on to. So that way, even if for some reason it doesn't go up at super high in value, at least you're kind of part of the collector's craze and you've got something neat that hopefully it's like a character that you liked either in a Disney plus show or a movie. And it's like, Oh, this is fun. You know? So that's kind of my thought process, you know, is, is something you can buy and hold on to and, and you won't regret it, you know, yeah. but if I come on here and I recommend a couple hundred dollar book and it drops in value, you'd be like, I hate that guy. So, no, you know, yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, 100%. It's, yeah. So I, I, so I do have a, a Zemo book I really, really want to recommend. Um, but I don't I don't think it's gonna go anywhere other than I'd be like, okay, you got to get this whole series because it's like freaking awesome. Like, there's a, there, there's actually a Justice League run I want to recommend for a similar reason, just because it's a great read. Um, so that might be the theme of some collector corners coming up since Eric and I have now discussed it. I kind of really want to do that anyway, because one of my favorite images of Baron Zemo of all time coming to, from this Avengers storyline. And it's a fun storyline. Cap's in it. Black Knight's in it. Of course, Black Knight's supposed to be in the Eternals movie coming up. So that would be a fun one. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll go ahead and I'll recommend that next week. So, Yeah, I think the thing about Zemo is Zemo is already kind of popular because Civil War is probably one of the most popular uh, Marvel movies. It's, it's probably one, if, if, if not the, it could be argued, right? About which is the most the most enjoyed or whatever. I constantly hear, uh, you know, um, Captain America and the Winter Soldier. I constantly hear Civil War. I constantly hear Infinity War. Those seem to be like the top three or, or the original Avengers movie. That's another one that I think people really like. Uh, but because of that, I think Baron Zemo is kind of established. Uh, PJ did uh, mention uh, in regards to what you were talking about his show. He said, we need no longer fear the banana. I feel like that's almost like an inside joke there. And he said, thank you for the kind kind words. And, and, and thank you for, for uh, supporting us, PJ. We really appreciate that. Well, um, yeah, we need no longer fear the banana. That's interesting. <laughs> that's that. I get, maybe maybe for them that that's like what we've got going over here with what this show needs is more Picard. Yeah. So that that's what Power Broker was missing. That I'll I'll end that with my spoiler <laughs> free review. Power Broker needed more Picard, and then it would have been a more a, a more uh, solid episode. I have a I have a crazy theory about the reveal of the power broker, but, but we'll get into that. Um, well, I think it's, it's spoiler time. So, okay. It's time to go. It's time to get into spoilers. Okay. So, you know, as we've done in the past, we're not going to do a blow by blow of these episodes because you get too lost into the weeds and whatever else. So we're going to do is we're going to just kind of hit the high points. Um, let me just say that I definitely concur with you, Eric, because uh, one of the standouts from actually 
you know, all the episodes he's been in so far has been Daniel Bruhl and his performance as Zemo. He is easily one of the standouts. Um, episode three, he is he is the character that I'm enjoying watching the most, and I love him in episode four as well. Um, Zemo is just such a really great, uh, interesting adversary. Um, but at the same point, too, maybe a little bit of a hero, depending upon your perspective, because I can see where you're coming from, Eric. And, and that's the thing that has made this show for me fun is how everyone has, like you said, it's a, it's a really good perspective. They have their own agenda. Everyone has their own agenda. And I feel like that you can kind of see how this all kind of gets out of hand. But one of my favorite things in actually episode three of The Power Broker um, is I really, really liked, because, uh, of course, we go to Madripoor, right, which, you know, people who are fans of the Wolverine comic, Madripoor is a very important place. And there was a lot of speculation and rumor about who we were going to see in Madripoor. Um, so I will point this out. There is some crazy speculation about the quote-unquote guest cameo coming up. I would tell everyone, keep your expectations like super low. Like take your expectations, put them down in the basement. That way, if it is something really awesome, we can all be super excited, right? But I just, <laughs> I feel like we shouldn't build ourselves up too much because there is supposedly a, a cameo coming up. But I feel like when we go to Madripoor and, and we, we see things, but we don't get any really obvious connections that a lot of other people have been talking about, rumor mill was going to happen. Um, but I did like Madripoor. One of my favorite scenes is actually where Zemo is, is being himself, right? Like, and he, and, and, uh, he supposedly has the winter soldier there to do his bidding. And then Bucky beats the tar out of a bunch of guys in the bar. That was a fun scene. I really liked that seeing like old school winter soldier, just kicking some butt and, and Zemo, like, you know, acting like he was the puppet master pulling the strings. That was a lot of fun. I also, I did. It's one thing about the the Marvel humor is it, it can be kind of cheesy and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But I did think it was funny that drink that Falcon had to have because he was impersonating somebody else. And it was just this totally bizarre thing with like snake guts in it or something like that. Yeah, it was uh, pretty weird. Yeah, it was really weird. So, yeah, I, I kind of dig this team uh, of Falcon, uh, you know, Zemo and, and Winter Soldier. And I kind of like the way that this picture is because I almost feel like Zemo should be the leader of the team. <laughs> um, I really do. It's just like, because Zemo to me seems like he's obviously very intelligent. They don't dumb him down at all. Um, he's very smart. You could argue he is smarter than all the other characters in this story. Um, Cause he, he seems like he's ahead of everybody. And it's kind of like, Zemo represents in a lot of ways his own side, his own perspective, right? If we go back to the Civil War movies, Zemo's perspective, I think, is actually very legitimate, right? He kind of right. feels like these titans are sitting around, kind of like our, our last review also, right? Godzilla and King Kong, right? He feels right. like these titans are, are flying uh, above us, us, us normal folk, and they're doing things that result in the deaths of all sorts of innocent people. And in, in his case, his own family was killed because of, because of the Avengers, essentially. At least he blames them for it. And there is a really valid perspective there. And it's kind of interesting because it's almost like, it goes back to like when we were talking about uh, a WandaVision, I was kind of hoping the director of S.W.O.R.D. was going to kind of represent that legitimate you know, opinion. And, it did, and right. they didn't go that way. They didn't go that way at all. But Zemo is actually articulating it very well to the point that Falcon and Winter Soldier are actually sympathetic towards the guy and almost seem to like him. 
You know what I mean? Um, I thought that's really interesting because he, he his his perspective is legitimate because basically what he's saying is there should be no super soldiers. Super soldiers right. are dangerous. It's a bad idea. Um, and we shouldn't be doing it at all. And I like the fact that he, he's committed to that because, you know, there was one, there was one point, um, you know, in uh, the, the whole world watching where I thought, is Zemo going to try to take the serum himself? You know what I mean? Like, is, is he going right. to go that way and basically totally betray what the character's, you know, stance has been up to that point. And I like the fact that he didn't, he, he could have yeah. done it. He had the opportunity to become a super soldier himself, but he's basically like, he's so committed to the idea that this is a bad thing and we definitely shouldn't be doing it. They made him stay true to his character. And that's what I really like. I, th that makes me excited because that, that, that makes me feel like the writers have some idea uh, of what a character should be, or even a, a really good villain should be and can be. It's someone who's really committed to his cause and you can actually understand it. And 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 in my in, in the case of Zemo, he's my favorite character in Falcon and the Winter Soldier so far. I, I'm really hoping they don't mess him up because uh, I think they're doing great things with that character. It was really cool too because you know Zemo's a true believer. You know when he was stomp stomping on those uh, vials of the Super Soldier Serum, and I was really kind of surprised at that because it would have been so easy to have him sneak one for himself. And and you never know. Like I said. Like I said, they have set up a really interesting dynamic at the end of episode four. You know, the whole world's watching because they have a very interesting dynamic happening here with all these different. And I think the way you described it is great, Eric, all these different chess pieces that are on the board. And there's a lot of potential. So the, the trick now is going to be where do the writers have it go? You know, because, you know, Trope Town says Zemo has one of those vials in his belt. You know, or his pocket. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. And then, true. And then, and then, non-trope town is he doesn't have one because he is a true believer. You know what I mean? And right. He, like exactly. So I, he I'm he really represents curious. an actual legitimate perspective that is different from the quote-unquote heroes. Yeah. That's what's really, really interesting. That that's a very interesting possibility because so far that's the way they've been going even to the point that I feel like Falcon and Winter Soldier are developing a respect for him. You know what I mean? That yeah. they actually kind of respect the. And they've said it. They said he's useful. You know, like when, when uh, Captain America, the, uh, uh, you know, U.S. agent version of Captain America is constantly saying, we got to put this guy back in jail. They're like, no. You know what I mean? This guy is helping us. This guy really is useful. Um, we got some comments in the, rogue, in the rogues gallery. Uh, Jane's just checking in saying, hey, guys. Hey, Jane, good to see you. And, and thank you for Hi, commenting. Mom. And then Eric Perry says, for a quote-unquote villain and escaped convict, Zemo is actually rather likable. I totally agree with you, Eric. Um, I do like him. I like I like Zemo. I think he's a cool character. This is the kind of guy that I would actually like to be you know, involved with and working for because, again, I get his perspective. I totally get his perspective that this uh, soldier serum is just too dangerous. And, in fact, I feel like that's very much where the story is going. Doesn't it kind of feel that way, Dave? That they are kind of saying that maybe that the soldier, the, the the super soldier serum is inherently dangerous. Well, and that and that's clearly what they're showing us, you know, with with the ending of of episode four. We we see what the super soldier serum can bring out of someone, you know, and 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 that's kind of the thing. That and and that's um, that's kind of what we go back to Doctor Erskine, right, in the original um, 
Captain America movie, First Avenger, you know, and, and he's telling Steve why he's a good choice, right? You know, because um, because he knows what abuse of power is because he's, you know, Steve, before he got the super soldier serum, he'd been on the other end of it so much, he knew what abuse of power was. You know, he, he knew what that felt like to be powerless, you know what I mean? Um, and at the mercy of someone, no matter what he did, you know, and, and that's why Dr. Erskine, you know, that's one of the things that made Steve unique, you know, and, and why Dr. Uh, the doctor liked him for the experiment, you know, because if it was going to succeed, if it had any chance of working, you know, Steve was a great candidate, right? And he was a great Captain America and he was a great hero. Um, and then what we see in Walker is we see the tragedy of, of kind of what the serum could also do. Because it could also take you down the wrong path, you know. You know, because I feel like, in all honesty, one of the things I like about Walker in this show is I felt I really feel like Walker meant to do the right thing. I, I don't feel like Walker's ever been motivated. I mean, there's definitely some issues going on with him mentally. You know what I mean? With kind of feeling like he can't live up. You know what I mean? To be Captain America, he's and got that's an inferiority. Be a lot of stress. He's, got, he's got an inferiority complex. That, yeah, that's for very, sure. very that's... obvious. Which, by the way, I, I don't know if that really fits the background of the character. I mean, you know, SF guys, special forces guys, generally are not like that. I mean, I'm sorry, they're just not. Um, and, and and, but he does have this this kind of little chip on his shoulder where he does seem to have this massive inferiority complex. But here's the thing: I know it doesn't really match up with a real special forces, you know, person, like an actual real person. But it does match up for Walker, the character, because that's what I've been doing. I've been going back and rereading a lot of the comics and, and trying to put the pieces together to see kind of where we are on the path with, you know, Walker's journey to become U.S. agent. And we're, we're pretty much on the right path. And, and, you know, I described before, before we got to this point, I kept saying that there's going to be a shocking moment and Walker's going to kill some people. And, and it's going to be unsettling, you know, and I had talked about that. I said that you have to understand that, you know, U.S. agent at the end of the day has more in common with the Punisher than he actually has in common with Captain America, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of truism to that. If you've seen a lot, any of the Punisher movies, if you saw the John Barenthal Netflix series, you know, if you've actually read any of the comics, Walker's not necessarily a bad guy. It's just he doesn't have any qualms with sometimes getting his hands dirty. You know, he's not going to think twice about it. And I feel like the serum is made a little worse. And I told Eric we were texting back and forth uh, prior to the show. And I said that um, the only thing I'm a little surprised at is I feel like Walker's a little bit more damaged than I thought he was going to be at this moment. Because in all honesty, I didn't imagine that they would kill uh, his, his partner, Battlestar. Like, yeah, I don't think shocking. they were going to do that. That was, that was shocking to me. I, I yeah. was really like, really? Wow, they're going there and and you know, this this, you know, at the midpoint of the series. Well, beyond the midpoint, right? Episode right. four. So we're we're be, we're over the hump at this point. But still, I was just like, I was very surprised that that's what what sort of triggered uh, you know, triggered US agent. I'll refer to him as US agent. I like to call him US. I don't like to call him Captain America. So it's like, um, I, I feel like that would that was a really shocking moment. And, and I could understand it, by the way. Like, in my mind, even, I was kind of rooting for him to kill all of them because I don't like those characters. I'll just I'll just say it. I don't like that side, that equation. They don't do anything for me. They seem like a bunch of uh, Antifa people with superpowers. That's that's literally what they feel like to me. 
Um, and um, it's a little too close to home, I guess. Is like it's a little too close to some of the real stuff going on in the world, and I don't like that because this is escapism for me. So I, I don't have any sympathy for that side of the equation, and I can understand why U.S. agent was so upset. You know, because it was shocking that they killed uh, 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 um, killed a Battlestar, and I, I thought it was really, really weird. Well, no, not weird. I, I thought it was really neat that he rescued himself. You know what I mean? Like they kind of showed right. that the character had some more depth to him, and then to kill him, uh, I thought was really kind of shocking and 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 crazy that they went there because I all of a sudden was like, hey, this there might be more to this character than we realize, right? And yeah. then they just kill him. Right. It's over. You, you know, know there, there's no more development there, you know? Yeah. I thought, I thought too. And, you know, it's kind of weird because I'm, I'm rooting for Walker to come out of the other side of this and, and be the U S agent from the comics. And, and, and I know it's kind of weird because where we leave this ep leave episode four, you know, um, he, he's in a, he, he, that's what I said about trope town. It would be very, very easy for them to just make John Walker the villain now, right? Like it'd be so right. easy to make John Walker the villain. And that's why I'm hoping that they take a broader perspective and a larger view about what's going on here and realize that Walker, while he's done something horrible, it doesn't immediately make him the villain, right? Right. Maybe makes him misguided. Maybe makes him sort of not have the proper perspective in terms of the world stage. You know, you can look at that any way that you want, but I'm really hoping that they're going to take a larger view because if they do, it'd be really cool because we get U.S. agent at the end of this show, right? And if they don't, if they don't take a larger perspective on who Walker is and what this moment really means, then he just becomes the villain, and maybe we never see him again after the end of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And, and that's kind of what I'm, I'm hoping, is, is that they're going to take a larger view of who Walker is. Um, and, and because this is a really powerful image, and it's a disturbing image, and it should be. Um, but it's, I love it, personally. I, I think it's yeah. a really amazing image. I think they did something really cool here with the with the blood-splattered uh, Captain America shield. Because to me, that really does represent what this character is. He's yeah. sort of like a stained version of Captain America. He's not Captain America. That's why I don't even want to call him Captain America. I will refer to him as U.S. agent. Uh, because he's, you know, nobody's Captain America at the end of the day, except, right. except Rogers. And, and it's kind of funny. There's even a moment where Zemo is talking with Falcon about his perspective, that basically there should be no super soldiers, that it's a bad right. idea. There should be no super soldiers, absolutely. And of course, Falcon brings up Rogers. And Zemo's totally willing to concede that there is no other Rogers. He knows Rogers was Captain America. He might be the one exception to the rule, right? And he, right. he actually acknowledges that and agrees with them that there was something inherently special about Steve Rogers that isn't just the super soldier serum. That's not what makes him special. There was right. something beyond that that made him a hero even before he had the serum. That's why he was chosen. That's exactly the reason why he was chosen. And then of course, there's the ambiguity of Bucky, right? Because Bucky also right. has a super soldier serum. And this is a guy who was a, an assassin who was programmed to kill people and killed you know, hundreds of innocent people, right? Um, and you know, there's that big question mark about him, but ultimately it does feel like there's some common ground 
that Falcon and Zemo are getting to where they kind of understand each other, even if they don't agree with each other 100%, they do kind of understand each 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 one of their own's perspective and respect it, which I think is interesting. And there's been a teaser they've released, what they're calling a mid-season teaser, which doesn't make any sense because we're past the mid-season <laughs> point. But there's, there's an interesting moment in that where um, we see, because we know it's coming, right? You know, Walker basically says, you, you, you don't want to do this. And then we've got Falcon on one side and, and Bucky on the other. And then Bucky says, yes, we do. And what's interesting, too, between these two characters, because like I said, for me, these are the two characters I'm enjoying watching the most. Because it's interesting how they're both twisted, dark reflections of what the super soldier program was supposed to be now, right? Like, that's kind of what they are in a weird sort of sense, you know? Um, but so, what are they? Because wasn't wasn't originally the super soldier serum part of uh, Hydra? What, wasn't it basically taken from Hydra? But Because but obviously what I'm Red, is, Skull, Red Skull was created before Captain America, right? So you right. could argue what, what was the actual intention of the super soldiers serum to begin with. And it doesn't seem to me it was ever, it was meant to be benign. It was always meant well, to be kind of, kind of bad, you know? Well, my, my perspective is looking at it from what Dr. Erskine tells us right in first Avenger. And then secondly, too, I'm also looking at the larger, we'll call it oeuvre of Captain America. You know, I'm looking at the 1990s Captain America you know, I'm looking at the, you know, even the old TV, I'm looking at the comic books that there was, there was an inherently, you know, necessary, hopeful component to what the super soldier program was supposed to represent. Um, but at the end of the day, we see that it's too easy for it to get out of hand, you know what I mean? And, and become something other than what it was meant to be. But what I'm saying is, is when we get ready for that fight, I'm hoping the fight choreographer has really thought this through because Bucky's going to really have it out for Walker in a really mean way, because I feel like Bucky's going to see more of himself in Walker than he really wants. And I feel like it's going to be the flip for Walker too. These characters have way more in common than they're ever going to admit. And I'm wondering if the fight choreographer is going to be able to bring it out and how they fight each other. That's a great point. And that's a great perspective. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Let's get to the rogues gallery. Cause we got some uh, pretty good comments here. From All right. Eric sounds Perry. good. So Eric says, uh, Walker was impatient. He didn't allow Sam to spend 10 minutes diffusing the situation. If Walker didn't interrupt, interrupt, things would not have escalated. Hoskins might have made it through the day unharmed. Uh, that is an interesting perspective, Eric. Uh, I, I do agree uh, with that, that, that uh, I do think uh, he was impatient, obviously. Um, that, that's kind of like his personality, right, Dave? Like he constantly just kind of wants to get into it. He's kind of a hothead. He doesn't really think things through, right? That's kind of like his hubris, his flaw. Yeah, right? and that's and that's always been one of Walker's problems. Like if you go back and you look at the comics, uh, Walker is always one to act more than think through what he's doing. That's part of the reason why he was, in a sense, a bad replacement for Captain America in the comics. And and you know he caused himself a lot of harm and caused a lot of other people a lot of harm because of that basically inherently bad you know, character trait. That's one of the things I like about this show. I mean, they kind of know who Walker is, good and bad, so. And by the way, I do want to contrast that with my favorite character, Zemo, who always seem, seems like he's one step ahead of everybody and is very thoughtful, and he only takes action when he really needs to. You notice that? Zemo only, only becomes a badass when he really needs to. He, otherwise, he's always willing to be in the background, you know? 
and he uses that to his advantage because it feels like people underestimate Zemo and he's able to right. sort of slip away and then he's able to go into badass mode and do something. You know, he's he's very different, a very different character. And that's why I really like Zemo. Uh, Eric the, also. Oh, go ahead. Oh. I was just going to say one of the coolest scenes, too, in this was, you know, when the in the Dora Milaje show, for example, and I thought it was fun seeing them. But in the midst of all that crazy chaos in that moment, you know, everyone's fighting. Right. Everyone's fighting. Right. And then Zemo's just standing back, just enjoying his drink. <laughs> And he just kind of slips out and escapes. Like everyone's beating away. the tar. It just—I just think it's hilarious because it's just like civil war all over again. He's got everybody fighting themselves. He's like, all right, I'm out. My job is done. And that, and I really like that about Zemo too. Zemo knows because that goes right back to civil war, the the origin of the character, the MCU. He's very smart. He knew he couldn't take on Iron Man and Captain America himself. So the only way that he could take him on was to get them to fight each other. And uh, that's the way he is. It's like he knows when he's outclassed, right? So he knows when to actually take action and when not to. And I think that's what's really cool about the character, the compelling character. I think we lost the stream for a second. I think it's what makes him a really compelling character for me because I do think the MCU has a massive villain problem. And if they do build up Zemo the way that I think they should, we might have a really cool villain on our hand that actually makes some sense. Um, Eric also made another comment where he said, uh, Rogers had, has uncommon determination to accomplish what he feels is the right and noble thing. Couple that with great respect for human life. Yes, he was, is very special with or without the serum. Totally hit the nail on the head, Eric. I totally agree with that. Uh, Rogers does have that sort of value for human life. Um, just basically he's, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, he's got a good soul, right? He's got, he's just got a good um, he, he's just a good guy. You know, th th that's kind of what it comes down to. He's just, a, he's just sort of like a good person. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing that's really interesting is, is we're seeing, and that's one of the things that's fun. And, and you brought this up before Eric, but it, it's kind of neat that we're seeing it play out where, you know, just because you have the super soldier serum doesn't make you Captain America because for the longest time in the show, that's what Walker thought he was missing. You know, if I just had the serum, if I just had the serum, and now that he has the serum, we see what he's done with it. And, and we see it's like, no, no, no. Just having the serum and having the shield doesn't make you Captain America. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I, I agree with that 100%. Um, is there, I'm curious if you have any any insight into the other side of this equation, into the, 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 terrorist, uh, the terrorist side. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't really like them. I don't put a whole lot of stock into them. I think their perspective... Uh, doesn't make doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I think it's just kind of propaganda bullshit. But I'm just curious if you have any insight on the other side of this equation. The um, what is their organization even called? The uh, flag uh, smashers. The, the flag smashers. Uh, what do you think of the whole angle? I was a little upset with the whole thing that Falcon sort of just like assumes are benign when these guys have already killed people. I hate that. That's kind of that does kind of harken me back to to WandaVision and this crazy sort of like irrational defense that uh, that uh, Rambeau had for for Wanda when she was clearly manipulating people and had even manipulated her and she was so quick to like say oh no Wanda's the good good you know good guy we've got to help her when in fact she was the one who had caused everything granted she'd been right. manipulated but she's the one who had caused everything so she kind of was the villain when you really think about it so uh, I, I don't I don't put a lot of stock into into the flag smashers but I'm curious if you have any insight in them or 
any opinions on them one way or another. Well, let me start off by saying as benign or as well-intentioned as, as they want us to believe that Carly Morgenthau actually is the leader of the Flag Smashers, in her own way, she's just as messed up as Walker. Um, you know, when she blew up that building and killed all those people. I mean, you know, she doesn't have, you know, and there's, it's weird too, because this episode, we see her seeing Walker and she's got a shocked look on her face. It's like, you killed a bunch of people too, lady. Why, why are you shocked? Like, so, um, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how they play, play this out. But I do honestly feel like, I feel like that, and I've heard some rumors about this, but I feel like there was something else that was supposed to be going on with the Flag Smashers that's been removed from this show because their motivation at times doesn't quite make sense. I mean, I know how kind of we they wanted to cast them and and how we're supposed to think of them and look at them, but to me, I'm still not completely clear. I mean, I understand what they're saying their motivations are, but it's a little weird how people are supporting them because it doesn't really make sense. And when you when you look at the amount of time they've had to establish them as a villainous group or as a group in general, it doesn't really work. I would say that the Flag Smashers, in all honesty, is one of the the parts of the show where I'm like going, well, this kind of just doesn't work. You know what I mean? And and, yeah, and that's I, I think early... we're on the same page there. I think they are the yeah. weakest element of this show. And I, I don't like them. I don't feel sympathetic towards their cause at all. I don't think they're very they're very interesting characters. Um, yeah, again, to me, they just feel like they're a bunch of Antifa people. That, that's how, that's what they feel like to me. Uh, and again, it's a little too close to home. Again, this is my escapism. I don't really want to be thinking about that while I'm watching a Marvel show. That's just me. I know I'm crazy that way. I actually think this stuff is supposed to be escapism. I know a lot of people think it's supposed to be about social commentary. That's just not my thing. Okay. Um, and by the way, I'm not. I'm not trying to say you can't have social commentary. Obviously, uh, all, all uh, especially Marvel, but all superhero comics to one extent or another have had some sort of social commentary. If you go back to Captain America, obviously it was very political, you know, the iconic image of him punching Hitler out, right? That's obviously a political statement, you know, freedom against fascism and all that kind of stuff. So it has its place. I'm not saying it doesn't. It's just not doing it for me in this particular context. But I am interested, and I'm sure you have a better insight on this, Dave, because you have the comic book knowledge how do you think Power Broker is is, uh, is ultimately going to fit into all this? And will there be some big reveal with Power Broker? Well, here here's my here's my thing when it comes to the Power Broker. Um, I'm really curious. Number one, if we're even going to see the Power Broker by the end of this, like I have really? a feeling, like the, yeah, I have a feeling that the quote unquote Power Broker who's behind everything. I don't know if we're even going to see the Power Broker. And then here's my super crazy theory that this this I'm pulling this from the comics. There's been absolutely nothing. Let me rephrase this. Absolutely nothing. No rumors. No nothing I've heard about this. It's just because I've been rereading the comics. But it's interesting because in the, in the comic books, the person at the end of the day who's pulling all the strings on everything that happens between Steve as, you know, when he stops being Captain America and becomes the captain all the manipulation that actually happens with John Walker that leads him to eventually becoming U.S. agent, the character who's in the background of, of all this going on in the comic books anyway, and that in that Captain America storyline, turns out to actually be the Red Skull. And the Red Skull has assumed a physical identity that makes him look like basically almost exactly like Steve Rogers, 
And it turns out he's not he's not the power broker. Understand that. I'm not saying he was the power broker. What I'm saying is, is that he was the person who was pulling all the strings, who orchestrated everything. And he ends up basically taking a new version of Captain America and destroys what Captain America kind of represents. And at the same time, tries to use U.S. agent to physically also destroy Steve Rogers. You know what I mean? So it's weird how all this is coming about. Like, I, I don't think the Red Skull has quite that level of hate. We know that he's like some disembodied spirit. Yeah, but he's it, a phantom or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But it, but I'm, I'm curious to see who it's going to turn out, who the power broker is. And it would be a crazy, trippy thing. It would be it would seem out of place in this. But if it turns out we reveal who the power broker is and if he's under under some influence of the Red Skull, that would be really kind of interesting. Yeah, that, that would be interesting. Do you think Zemo has any special place in all that? Because I feel like he does. I think Zemo has some I, sort of relationship with these characters that we, we haven't seen yet. I do feel like, you know, and it wouldn't be surprising to find out, too, that, that Zemo has a role to play. I mean, you never know. It could turn out Zemo is the power broker just as well. I mean, uh, that'd but, be crazy. Yeah, but but I feel like, you know, honestly, a lot of people have been hoping that Zemo will eventually wind up, you know, leading the Thunderbolts. You know, there's been a lot of talk about that, but, but I, I can't see that happening, huh. especially, especially after his stance where he's destroying the super soldier serum. I don't see him cozying up to a team of, you know, super villains, you know what I mean? In order to make the world a better place, because I, at some point, I don't think he would ever feel comfortable around them because of the stance that he's, because like I said, he, he really seems like a true believer. Um, so I'm I'm gonna be honest with you, Eric. They've done such an interesting job with Zemo that I honestly have no idea what they're gonna do with him. Whatever they do with Zemo is gonna be just genuinely a surprise. And and so I'm kind of excited to see what they decide to do. I, I just hope they don't ruin him because again, he he is the character that I'm rooting for. I am on hashtag team Zemo at this point. I think that that he's awesome. I, I totally get his perspective. Um, and I, I think they're doing good things with him, and I think he can be. He can't if they do this right and lay the groundwork correctly. He could be a really interesting villain uh, going forward. And again, somebody that maybe even the other side respects to some to some extent that he's just not a stock villain. That his motivations actually do make sense, but he's in conflict with the with the main characters who just don't agree with him. You know, um, I, I think that there's some real potential there, and I hope they don't go as we've said to trope town and mess him up <laughs> i mean that's the thing like i said i have seen moments of just real kind of interesting um kind of perspective in terms of what they're doing with this show like that that they kind of get it because there's been a lot of time there's been sometimes they've kind of gone to trope town right Right, you know, and been and been too heavy-handed sometimes with their messaging, but then there's been other times where I'm like, "That's a really interesting choice. I would not have expected that." And then you know, you get something else. You come up and go, "That's also an interesting choice. I did not expect that." You know, and you go, "Wow, look at what they've done with this character. Look at what they've well, done." Well, I didn't expect I them to believe. kill. I didn't expect them to kill Battlestar. I really I didn't, didn't either. I thought, I thought that I was that was kind of crazy because to me he was almost like he was kind of almost on the goofy side as far as all these different characters. It seemed to me like he was just somebody that U.S. agent can almost use as sort of like a sounding board 
like a confidant so that you could kind of get his little inner monologue without, you know, actually like hearing his thoughts. You know, he would, he'd, he'd give his thoughts to his, his sidekick, to his buddy. You know what I mean? Um, and he served a purpose, uh, but he does serve a purpose too in his death, right? That's why we get this crazy, I think now iconic already image uh, is because his death does serve as a springboard to show that this is not Captain America. This will never be Captain America. This is U.S. agent, and he is a different animal altogether. I did want to get uh, back to the the Rogues Gallery real quick uh, because we kind of went past what they're what they're commenting on, but we'll go let's go back to it real quickly. So Eric Perry does say uh, Disney will never allow true escapism in the MCU. Not saying that's good or bad, just acknowledging the sway board members will have over certain characters such as these. Eric. We are on the same same wavelength here. Sympatico. And Jane also says, I'm with you, Eric, on shows taking one away from troubles of the day. Movies are, for me, mini vacations. And I, I like that, Jane. That's that's a good idea. It's, it's escapism, especially when we talk about superhero stuff. And I'm not saying that there isn't any room for social commentary, because there is. You know, I, I gave you a very clear-cut example. But that's also a very clear-cut thing, too, right? Because... You're talking about, you know, the allies versus the access, it, it, the access. Uh, you know, there's not much choice there. You, you have to go one or the other, right? There's not a lot of nuance in that decision. Either you're with them or you're with them. And if you're not, you're going to get stuck in the middle and then you're kind of kind of screwed. You know, there were neutral countries during World War II and they did not fare very well. Some of them did, but uh, a, lot, a lot like the low countries, they didn't fare too well, did they, with their stance of neutrality because the Germans didn't respect that. So, um, yeah, th there is there's a place for it, but sometimes it does take you out of it. And, th and that's probably my biggest criticism of Falcon and the Winter Soldier is sometimes they do put the worldly stuff into this. And it does take me out of the MCU and into my world. And then I'm just like, where am I? And uh, I'm not enjoying it as much because I enjoy more trying to speculate on what Baron Zemo ultimately is up to and what he's going to do. You know, that's what I want to be thinking about because I think he's a compelling character. And now I want to know what ultimately is going to happen with U.S. agent. What's going to be the backlash uh, from this sort of viral moment, right? Because we had all those people that were recording him as he was killing this man, right? So how's that going to play? You know, that, that, that there's some interesting questions to be answered uh, in the future episodes. And I, and I will say this, the, the one character who I still really like, but I feel like at times with this show, I feel like unfortunately is not being done a disservice, but I feel like it, that they're not giving us, I don't know. I feel like that the Falcon mostly just stands around reacting to everything. And, you know, and, and I like the character a lot, but, but it really highlighted for me when they released this mid season teaser, because You've got Walker making a stand, and then he's like going, "You don't have to do this," and you know, and you've got Bucky who's saying, "Oh yes, we do," and then the Falcon's just kind of watching it. You know, it's interesting how it starts with the Falcon as a as a character of action because we see that action scene with him, right? He's very much in the forefront. He's in the lead, and at this point in the show, he's just kind of standing around watching everything that's transpiring. You know, I mean, his conversations with Zemo are really interesting, but I. I just find it kind of weird. Like, I feel like that we're learning a lot about Bucky. We're learning a lot about Walker. We're learning a lot about Zemo. Like, and, and we're getting a, a interesting perspective into where the world is, like as far as the MCU world is anyway, at this moment in time for this fictional universe. But I do find it weird at times because I do feel like they want us to 
root for Sam to pick up the shield. Like they gave us this moment where it's like Sam has to pick up the shield. Look at what this guy just did. You know, like they're very clearly trying to show us why Sam should possibly be or become the new Captain America. But at the same point, too, I, I find it very curious that for most of these episodes, when all this stuff's going down, Sam's just standing around watching all this stuff transpire, you know, and, and it's it's weird. I don't know if they're trying to tell us something about where Sam is in his mind or if this is the same thing that allowed these series of events to unfold in the first place, because Steve very much thought when he gave him the shield that the shield was in good hands. And someone who bears responsibility for some of what's happened is Sam by choosing not to take up the shield, right? It's yeah, a that's, curious that's, thing. That's uh, Bucky's perspective. That's, yeah. that's where Bucky's coming from. That's the Bucky side. You know, if you're hashtag, hashtag team Bucky, you know, he's basically very upset that Falcon gave up the shield. And of course he believes that uh, Steve's wishes should be respected. Um, and that basically uh, Falcon never should have done that. So he's got an interesting perspective as well. I still think it would be a really cool, I know they won't do it, but I just think it would be really cool if they went there and ultimately Bucky became Captain America. I do think that would make more sense. Um, he does have the super soldier serum, whereas uh, Falcon does not. Um, and so it, it would make more sense to me. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think it would be a really bold choice if they did. Well, and it's interesting It's interesting to me because I feel like, especially after episode four, I really feel like that's probably what should happen at this point. I really, in all honesty, after what happens with episode four, I am of the opinion that Bucky should be the one who picks up the shield. I, I know that that's not where they're going with this for the show. Like, I know that's that's not, you know, where they're trying to lead us. But I'm very sorry. When, when I see what happens with Walker, you know, I and especially to the way this episode starts, right? With, you know, Bucky being released or realizing that he's maybe free of the control, right? Of the Hydra control, right? The the mental command or whatever that turns him on so that he, he can't resist any command or whatever, um, I feel like that there's there's more to be said, and and I also just as a fan, I feel like it's genuinely more interesting. I'd be I'd be more interested to follow his journey at this point, um, because I feel like there's more more to be said for him at, as a character, you know, trying to quote unquote carry on the mantle of you know his best friend. You know, I mean, I feel like that there's something really interesting to be said there. Yeah, he, he has an interesting perspective as well. And I think that he's coming from a place that makes some sense to me, um, whereas, again, a lot of the other characters aren't. And one of the other consequences of the fact that I don't give any credence to the Flag Smashers is the fact that Falcon's sympathetic to them. So then it makes Falcon even kind of a more blah character to me because of that. I just, I, uh, just my only thing is that, you know, there's some really great moments with Anthony Mackie as Falcon, and I like Falcon, but there's just some really unusual moments where I feel like that Falcon should really, if he is going to be the new Captain America, I really feel like he should be taking more of a lead. Um, and 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 that's <laughs> that's the thing I find really odd, right? Because there's clear moments where he should be making more of a stand if if they want us to believe he is to be the new Captain America. And I just constantly see him standing around going, "What the hell just happened?" Like and it's, and you know and 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 being more reactionary than leading and i don't know if it's because he just doesn't want to lead you know what i mean or if they want to try and set up a different moment for us for us to really notice 
the moment in which he chooses to be, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. It'd be curious to see how this unfolds. The fun little comment that Eric Perry had over here. He says, half joking here. If Bucky wants to pick up the shield, who's going to stop him? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a good I, point. That's a good point, Eric. Who could yeah. stop him? Other than, I guess, the Wakandans, right? Which, by the way, there was some controversy about that. Uh, it was like Twitter controversy because everybody always has to be offended by something. But uh, there, that moment uh, with the Wakandans, right, where they, they deactivate his arm, I know that there was some controversy among fans about uh, the validity of that, whether that showed something bad about the Wakandans or bad about society or whatever. It, it kind of went in every single direction, which is why I didn't specifically bring it up. But uh, to address what you just said, Eric, uh, the Wakandans can stop him because they have that fail safe on his arm. I think at this point, too, the other person that would potentially stop him from wanting to pick it up is the gentleman we're looking at on the screen right now, and that would be John Walker. You don't um, think Bucky can take him out? I think that Bucky probably will be the one that takes him out, but at the same point, too... Oh, you think um, Bucky's going to kill him? No, 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 not kill him. I mean, I, th I think that... Well, there's a scene again in that midseason teaser where I feel like that, you know... Yeah, it's weird... We'll see. I, I like I said, I, I'm really curious to see where they go with this. They could potentially that would be a bold Walker. prediction, Dave. You'd be really putting yourself out there, but that would be a really bold prediction if you thought if you were to go out there and say you think Bucky's going to kill a U.S. agent. I don't. I don't think Bucky's going to kill him, um, but I do think that Bucky will uh, definitively be the one that takes the shield from him in in the in the battle that ensues. I just I just I don't see it being Sam necessarily. I see it being Bucky being the one who's like, uh-uh, no, we can't have this, you know? Um, because if you notice again in that little mid-season teaser moment, Bucky's the one who's got the dead-eyed stare, and he's like, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. You know, you don't have to. Yeah, we do. You know, so I really feel like that. And, and, and you know, we've seen what Bucky's capable of. Bucky's been holding himself back. Um, but at the same point, too, you know, Walker into comics is a pretty bad dude. Now that he's got this, this super soldier serum, and he's not going to be, I think, as restrained as he was being before because he's already gone down that road now. You know what I mean? He can't right. suddenly try to be good guy Captain America now after what he did. <laughs> There's no reason to be, right? So we'll see. Yeah, that, that is interesting. It's also kind of interesting in the context of, of there was that conversation uh, that, that Falcon had with the leader of the Flag Smashers uh, where they were talking about sort of like uh, you know, basically the use of power, you know, how it can be used and, and or how it should be used. And if you have it, you know, you kind of use it. And it's kind of funny to see that at the end of the day, U.S. agent is kind of embodying that. He's like, I've got the power. I'm going to use it. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that's what the Flag Smashers are doing. Right. So what's wrong with with the U.S. agent doing that? You know, so. Well, it's it, it's a curious debate too, because like I said, you know, the flag smashers are not quote unquote good people. I mean, you know, look at where they burned all those people to death in that building. You know, they they've killed just as many, if not more, people within the context of the show so far as Walker. I think more than Walker has, at least as far as oh, we've yeah, seen absolutely. on screen, absolutely, way more. Yeah. So, you know, it, it and that's the thing that's interesting about this show. That's what I'm saying. If they avoid going to Trope Town. They've asked a lot of interesting questions, you know, not just in terms of abuse of power. They put forth the idea of, of what make what is a real hero, what is a real leader, right? Like we've got a lot of heavy questions 
to theoretically either try to answer or begin to ask more questions and have a broader discussion about anyway what the answers to those questions possibly are. They've set up an interesting set of circumstances to have that debate. So we'll see where they go with it. We'll see where they go with it. Um, there's a scene that mid-season trailer where it looks like someone is hurling the shield at Carly Morgenthau and she just kicks it away like it's nothing. You know what I mean? And I'm sorry, but um, I just don't see Carly Morgenthau having the hand-to-hand -hand chops to stand against even Walker. Um, right. I mean, Walker's an experienced U.S. soldier. I mean, he, he he's, he's a former Special Forces guy. So, I mean, to be honest with you, what I see happening as far as Walker versus the Flag Smashers go, I have a, I mean, they've proven to be pretty resourceful, but if he's unrestrained, I could see he, I could see him walking through all of them and, and just killing every single one of them. Um, and I, I will tell you this, it's probably kind of sad. I don't know if it's a good thing for me to admit this or not, but I did like that moment in the battle where they're trying, they're going to basically kill him because they see him as a symbol that represents America. And Walker has that comment. He's like, what's up with all the knives? Right. I thought that was a hilarious line when he threw <laughs> that out there. He's like, you guys really think you're going to kill me with these knives? What's up with all the knives? You know? <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I, that was a kind of a, a funny moment too. I, I, I did catch that as well. So yeah, we'll, we'll see, we'll see where it goes. You know, uh, I, I do kind of anticipate that, uh, that Zemo is going to have a special role to play. Um, and he may have some sort of relationship uh, to the to power broker. Uh, we're just going to have to see how that all pans out because I do think it's neat about his his sort of his own perspective, and he seems to almost be like in his on his own team all by himself, which I think is kind of interesting. Uh, Hollywood Jackson's in the house, and he says, "Hey guys, hey Hollywood, it's good to see you. Thank you for commenting." Hey Hollywood, you know what would be a really interesting place to end this, which I'm sure they won't, but it'd be really hilarious if in all the calamity and everything that's going on that Zemo manages to basically sneak off in the middle of the night, actually with the shield. That would be like, awesome. And, and just totally gets away that. and just disappears with the shield. <laughs> you know, I would love like, that. Where'd the I would shield love go? That. You know, where's I Zemo? I think that would be you so know? funny and so cool if they did that. Like at the end of the day, Zemo takes the shield, you know? Yeah. He's got it. He's got it hanging up. Like it's a wall decoration on his plane. And he's sitting back drinking his, whatever it is he's drinking. You know what right. I mean? He's just having this little sit with his feet up, and he's like, I win. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, that would be perfect. That would be perfect. I would love to see that happen. I don't think it will, but I would love to see that happen. I think that would be really cool. Because, again, I am definitely – he's my favorite character. I'm just putting it out there. I really like Zemo. I think he's cool. Well, and it gives you a, a really interesting place to go to, actually, with the story with either Sam or Bucky or whoever, if you want to do another Captain America-style movie. There, there's your there's – your, uh, your, you know, subheading for the movie, you know, Captain America, whatever, the quest for the shield, you know? Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Kind of yeah, writes itself, so. That would be neat. I like it. I definitely like it. All right, very cool. Um, well, I don't have much else to add uh, as far as these two episodes of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Do you have anything else you want to add to the conversation here, Eric? No, I think uh, there's still some obvious questions to be answered. I do think that they have set this up well. I just hope we get a good payoff because... I really felt like they were something being set up really cool for WandaVision, and I was really disappointed to realize there wasn't. So, yeah, and I still, I still don't understand. Again, you know, we could have had U.S. Agent and Battlestar and some of the other people part of the team when they go, you know, running into uh, 
uh, was it Westview or whatever it was called? I mean, I still feel like that was a huge missed opportunity to, to interconnect the universes and go ahead and, and introduce us to some of these people. Um, but I guess in a weird way, it doesn't fit within the narrative of Falcon and Winter Soldier either. But there you go. All right. Cool. All right. So um, I guess if we're good there, I had actually pulled this graphic up. Let me close this graphic out here real quick. Um, and then uh, we'll go ahead and we'll segue over into um, pop culture news. Let me just get the graphic. Oh, I thought we were going to Collector's Corner. Oh, yes. Collector's Corner. My bad. That's what kind of what I meant, even though I said it wrong. Um, <laughs> I just got to find the graphic. There it is. Let me get this up on my screen. Get back I over the, here. I got the, the graphic up. Oh, okay. All right, cool. Yeah, I could, couldn't see it. Okay. All right. So here in the Collector's Corner, we like to talk about anything that's interesting that's happened in the world of collectibles, primarily normally with a little bit of a comic book focus at the very least. Uh, but we also talk about things such as action figures. We talk, you know, statues, you know, any of these fun things, trading cards. That's what we like to talk about here in the Collector's Corner. Now, for tonight's episode, these were the selections that I made. Um, one of these, you know, it's weird because any one of these could be potentially a speculation play, depending upon how you want to view it. Um, but I feel like they're all interesting comics to discuss and potentially own for a lot of different reasons. Okay, so... Um, our big speculation play for this evening is actually Rom Space Knight. Um, this is actually episode 31. This is from 1982. And you may be asking yourself, okay, we talked about Rom and Space Knight a little while ago. You said there was a stalled out movie thing that might still be happening. That's why you write this was a pullback on the price. Okay, whatever. Why are you recommending Rom Space Knight 31? Because this is the second appearance of Rogue, everybody. That's the really funny thing about this book. This is the second appearance of Rogue. She's actually on the far uh, right-hand side of the corner here. She, actually, her and Rom are actually looking at each other. But that's the funny thing. She's actually running around with the Brotherhood of, of Evil Mutants because she was she did start off as a villain. Um, and they're actually trying to take down Rom the Space Knight. Um, and so that's the thing that makes this book unique. And it's so strange to think of a character like Rogue like her second appearance not being in an X-Men book. But this is it. This is her second appearance. Uh, it's in Rom the Space Knight 31 from 1982. All right, our oh, really? second book. Yeah, huh. this is her second appearance. And you you can get this book for a song. You can get it for $10. You can get it for $20. If you wait long enough and you find it bundled up with a bunch of other stuff, when you, you average it out across the books. I mean, you can get it for a couple dollars. I actually bought an another copy of this book with a bunch of ROM, the Space Knight books. They were all thrown in together. And I paid $19 for this huge stack of ROM, the Space Knight books. And in there was a copy of this. And it was an additional copy. Because like I said, I've been trying to kind of secure my position with kind of key X-Men books because I feel like that... Um, you know, down the road, these are going to be some interesting books to be holding on to from a, from a speculation standpoint. I'm also trying to get like a really high grade copy for myself. So, you know, if I buy three or four copies, I send them all in to get graded. You know, I'm going to keep the one with the highest grade and then I'll just sell off the others, right? That's that's the way my thinking is working in my mind. Um, but this is really interesting. This is a really key early book for Rogue. Um, it's kind of like weirdly like with Sabretooth. Like, Sabretooth's big issue is actually an, an issue of Iron Fist, you know, um, 
And that's the thing that's really weird is how we, because we associate these characters with these properties where they've kind of become established. You know, we, we think of Rogue as an X-Man, you know, but she was a villain and a member of the Brotherhood of the Evil Mutants first. And she had a lot of adventures outside. Her first, her first main appearance, her big debut was actually fighting the Avengers. That's where she started. She was actually fighting against the Avengers. Um, and then in this one here, she is fighting against Rom the Space Knight. So <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. All right. So our second book for this evening, this is Swamp Thing 49. This is from 1986. This is part of Alan Moore's um, monumental, amazing, highly celebrated and deservedly so Swamp Thing run. Um, I've never really talked about it before. I'm a huge Swamp Thing fan. Um, I've actually been in the process, too. I've actually been actually picking up and securing a lot of early Swamp Thing books, um, trying to put together like an interesting collection of them. Uh, one of my favorite comic book inspired movies, actually, because I love the opening sequence, is actually Return of the Swamp Thing. You know, it's a fun, campy, silly kind of movie, but I love the way that it opens with Creedence Clearwater's Born on a Bayou, and we get all those really great, like, you know, um, early Swamp Thing covers, you know, as they give us the credits and are getting us ready for the movie. Um, I love that opening sequence. It's one of my favorite because of how it uses comic book art. Um, you know, kind of like in the same way that uh, Flash Gordon does that. You know, the uh, the Flash Gordon movie from the 80s does that. You got a great killer, fun, you know, rock kind of sound, you know, song, obviously from Queen, right? Um, and then you have all these great classic images from the original Flash Gordon comic strips uh, you know, illustrated you know, by Alex Raymond. So the thing that makes this book interesting is there's a lot of hype, a lot of talk, and, and it's a lot of kind of stuff, rumblings about eventually this Justice League Dark. Uh, it was announced that it's being developed to be a, a show or a series actually on HBO Max. This is one of your very, very early appearances um, of actually Justice League Dark. It's considered an unofficial cameo, but this is one of the first times that we start to see characters like Dr. Fate, where you see characters like the demon, right? Characters like the Phantom Stranger and Swamp Thing actually team up together. So they consider this an early unofficial cameo. It's considered a, a kind of a key monumental book actually for Justice League Dark. What's also interesting about this too is that it's really kind of cool that Dr. Fate is in here. There's been a lot of discussion about Dr. Fate because it was announced that uh, Pierce Brosnan, uh, you know, Remington Steele, Mr. James Bond, is actually going to be uh, playing Dr. Fate in the Black Adam movie. So I thought this was interesting, too, because it's an interesting way to kind of start dipping your toes into exploring Dr. Fate. And as the Collector's Corner move on, we're going to do a little bit more exploration of Dr. Fate because it's a lot of really great, fun, not really Golden Age, because Dr. Fate goes back to the Golden Age, but kind of more bronze, copper, modern age books for Dr. Fate that are very much within range. And this book is as well. You can pick this book up relatively cheap. Um, but again, early uh, Justice League Dark. Now, our last one, maybe a speculation play. I don't know. Kind of going out on a limb with this one. But I've been going through the process. I talked before about securing a lot of Blade uh, kind of key issues kind of here and there. Um, I'm one of those weird people. I enjoyed Blade Trinity. I know a lot of people didn't like Blade Trinity. Um, but I do feel like if they're going to bring Blade into the MCU, it's only a matter of time before we obviously get the Night Stalkers, uh, which Blade was a part of, which they actually touched on actually in Blade Trinity. 
Um, and this is their, your first solo series for the Night Stalkers. This is issue number one. Again, this is another book you can pick up for a song, although this is the one that's starting to skyrocket, everybody. This is the one that's starting to go up a little bit. This is the one I have a feeling is going to be hard to find here pretty soon. Um, there, there's not a lot there, there. Well, there's not a lot of modern blade key comic books. Most of the blade key comic books actually are from tomb of Dracula. Um, so there's not a lot of quote unquote modern other than the blade series itself, but I feel like over time, this is going to become maybe potentially an important book for blade. So I have been kind of picking up copies of night stalker number one, kind of here and there. Um, because I think there might be something interesting happening with this book uh, down the road as Blade comes into the MCU. So this is Night Soccer's number one from 1992. This is the last selection for this installment of the Collector's Corner. That's very cool. That's that's interesting, you know, because I do think that there's going to be a lot of buzz uh, with Blade, uh, you know, as just as, as time goes on, we'll get closer and closer to his uh, MCU appearance and things like that. I also think Morbius can play into this too. You know, Morbius obviously is going to be coming out on the Sony end. So that'll be interesting to see how that kind of affects things because I know there's a lot of Blade and Morbius comics out there, aren't there, where the two of them uh, are, you know, interact with each other? Yeah, there is. I mean, um, you know, there's actually, I think it's Adventure into Fear is actually an early, early Morbius and Blade book where the two of them actually square off, um, which is really interesting. Um, but the, again, the problem with some of those books, though, is again, like I said, they're already out of range. You know, <laughs> they're I, already I didn't mention. Yeah, I, I did. I didn't mention this at the beginning, but primarily what we're doing here in the collector's corner is we're also again looking for books that you could pick up for twenty bucks. You know, something you can pick up relatively affordably, maybe ten dollars, right? And and be part of the fandom and kind of part of the collector's community and have something kind of fun and kind of cool. You know, and if it goes up in value, ah, great. You know, and if it doesn't, ah, I only spend 10 bucks on it, right? Like, so the goal is, you know, no more than $20 is kind of where my cap is when I make these selections for Collector's Corner. And we're trying to find those interesting little gems that maybe people aren't talking about very much. Um, and so that's kind of the deal. Uh, like, for example, like I wanted to kind of highlight Morbius number one, which is actually part of this Rise of the Midnight Suns. It was, you see, it says part five of six. There were actually six issues. It was Ghost Rider. It was Morbius. It was Night Stalkers. Like all these books kind of tied in together as this Rise of the Midnight Suns arc, right? Or story arc. Um, but the Morbius book is already getting out of range. It's 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 already it's already starting to go up. And it's interesting because it's pulling this book up with it, I think. When you start talking about Morbius, you start talking about Blade, it's actually pulling this book up with it. As of the Airing of this episode right now, you can still pick up Night Stalkers number one relatively inexpensively. You can pick up Night Stalkers number one bundled in with the rest of the Rise of the Midnight Sun storyline as well. You know, for maybe 40, 50 bucks, you know, you get the all six parts. Um, but uh, I feel like Night Stalkers uh, number one, I feel like this one's going to be out of out of uh, my $20 cap here, here pretty quick. Very cool. That's interesting. Definitely something for people to, to keep their eye out for. Yeah, and as far as my trading card journey goes, nothing's changed. I'm still waiting for PSA because it seems <laughs> like none of this other stuff really matters. I've got such a huge stack of cards. I showed them off before that I really want to get graded. I really want to turn in. 
But I'm at the point now where I realize I'm going to be sending stuff to CGC before I even get the PSA at this point. And it's weird, too, because I'm hearing that CGC's got quite a little bit of a backlog going on the comic side, too, because there's a lot of interest uh, in, you know, getting your books graded and, and kind of securing them. You know what I mean? Maybe for kind of a long term thing, you know, as it, it sounds weird, but as a different kind of a, an asset. Right. Like, right. Even though it doesn't seem like it, you know. So we'll see. We'll see how this all goes. Uh, Eric says, uh, believe it or not, I still have my copy of Night Stalkers number one from the early 90s. A few short boxes of 90s comics have followed me every place I've gone for decades. And I'm in the same position, actually, Eric. I actually do have a, a, a short box uh, full of quite a few actual 90s comics. Although the one that I was really into in the 90s was actually Chaos Comics. I actually uh, collected a lot of chaos comics in the '90s, uh, not so much, you know, uh, the Marvel and stuff like that. Marvel was big for me as a kid with Transformers and GI Joe, but then in the '90s, I think I was I was really into a lot of independent stuff, and of course that was sort of like the independent boom, right? Uh, independent comics were kind of the thing for a while, uh, and definitely Chaos was one of the big contenders at that point because at one point Chaos was like the fifth largest publisher, so they were pretty popular at one point as well. And with a certain segment, too, of the fandom, actually now with Coffin Comics, you could say they're still kind of popular to an extent. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're doing you great know? with their crowdfunders. Polito's yeah. like a master promoter salesman. I mean, yeah, I, I, can never, I could never say anything uh, to, to, to take away from that. He's, he's done extremely well on the independent side. Uh, I did want to follow up from last week uh, with my uh, Collector's Corner uh, segment. Um, this is from Business Wire. Um, and again, I was talking about uh, Tops uh, and the fact, actually, Dave had originally spoken to me about the fact that Tops was uh, going to be going uh, public very soon. Uh, it's anticipated to go public this year. And they are getting into NFTs. So this business, business Wire article says Top debuts its first Major League Baseball card NFT collection with Top Series 1 baseball launch. Set will be released in conjunction with Major League Baseball and MLB Players Inc. and marks the first time a Topps baseball card set will uh, live on blockchain. So it's so at the top company today announced the release of 2021 Top Series 1 baseball NFT. That's non-fungible tokens for those of you that don't know what that is. Uh, this will be ushering in a new era of baseball card collecting in partnership with Major League Baseball and MLB Players Inc. Launching Tuesday, April 20th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Tops will build on its legacy as an innovator of digital collectibles by releasing its flagship yearly baseball card collection for the first time as NFTs. Artwork from the physical 2021 Top Series 1 baseball release, including iconic throw throwback card templates, anniversary sets, and more, will be digitally enhanced and creatively reimagined as official licensed Tops MLB NFT collectibles. I do feel like some of our audience may not know what an NFT is. Uh, definitely, I didn't know what it was until Dave actually talked to me about it. Um, and I, I, I'm no expert on it. But basically, what we're talking about is digital collectibles. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting idea. Um, I don't know how I feel about it, honestly, as, as a collector myself. Uh, I don't know if I really buy into it. But I will say this, because we are big into specs, right? We're big into the speculative collector's market. 
there can be money to be made even when you don't believe in something. So even if I don't necessarily believe in FTs, I do believe there is a potential, at least possibly in the short term, to make some money. And in the long term, you might as well. You know, we've seen where Bitcoin has gone and these digital cryptocurrencies and stuff like that. Another thing that I was always very skeptical of and still am to this day, but there's money to be made. There's no denying it. People have made fortunes uh, from Bitcoin, especially if you got into it when it first started. Uh, and we're mining Bitcoin at the beginning. Gosh, you might be a millionaire now, just putting a few thousand dollars into that. So it is interesting that uh, Tops is taking the plunge in NFTs and really, in a sense, is making NFTs mainstream. I mean, what do you think of that, Dave? Yeah, no, it's interesting. Like I said, and again, I will go ahead and put the warning out. You know, we're talking like speculation. You know, obviously, you need to talk to a financial investor to make sure that this stuff makes sense for you, whether you're talking about the comic books, the trading cards, or like the NFTs. You know, additionally, too, you know, never invest money that you, you know, can't afford to lose. It's an important thing to always understand, right? Like if you lost that money, you'd feel really bad. You know, obviously don't invest that, right? Um, I, I saw I saw a really good thing that uh, Dave Ramsey's daughter said, and they were they had a caller uh, going to, to Dave Dave Ramsey's show. Uh, you're familiar with Dave Dave Ramsey, yep. right, Dave? Okay, yeah. So uh, for people that aren't familiar with him, he's like one of the financial gurus. You know what I mean? Of the last, you know, what two decades or so? Like he, he's helped right. a lot of people get out of debt and things like that. There was a caller that came that that called because they had made money off of the um, game stock. Okay, uh, game game GameStop stock. Okay, uh, the 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 meme stocks, if you will. Right, they made a substantial amount of money. And of course, you know, Dave, being the way he is, if anybody if you've ever seen him, he's very conservative about that stuff. He does not like investing in individual stocks at all. In fact, he tells people not to do it. He's a mutual fund guy. He's all about mutual funds. Okay, he does not like people investing in individual stock because he feels it's a gamble. But it's funny because on the particular episode that I saw or segment that I saw, his daughter was there with him. And of course, his daughter's a lot younger. And apparently his daughter likes to gamble. She actually likes to play craps, which I thought was really interesting. <laughs> his daughter actually enjoys that. And of course, you could see uh, Dave rolling his eyes, Dave Ramsey rolling his eyes about his daughter talking about this. But she gave this interesting recommendation that I really think was good, which is she said, when you look at like individual stocks, right? You should almost view it the same way that you view your entertainment money. Because, you know, uh, Dave talks about having like these different envelopes, these different piles of money, and you use them for specific things, paying specific bills, paying down debt, and fun stuff, right? Like going to movies, going to, uh, you know, going to dinner, things like that. And that should be a specific amount that you have in your budget. And she kind of added the idea that, hey, if you like to gamble, like she does occasionally, if you, which the stock market can kind of be considered a gamble, which I definitely think it is. Um, think of that money in the same way. In other words, it's part of your fun money. So it's money that you can lose. You know what I mean? You can lose all of it and still be comfortable. I thought that was great advice. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing. We just want to make sure people understand, you know, uh, j just just to be not knowledgeable and aware, you know. You know, we're talking about this because it's fun. It's interesting to talk about. It's fun to speculate on. You know what I mean? But just keep that in mind. Uh, if you're thinking about acting on any of the things that we're talking about, we're not financial investors. We're just fans and, and hobbyists talking about things we enjoy. But what's interesting, what I like well, about we're, the we're, We are investors. We're just not advisors. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You and I right. are investors, but we're not advisors. Yeah, we are, for sure. But, but we I, do invest ourselves. We do actually invest right. ourselves and dabble in this stuff. Right. And and the thing I like about tops, you know, is because 
you know, they, they represent an interesting way to move into the collectibles, right, in a physical way, but also a way to move into collectibles in a digital way. That's what I like about it is that they're kind of, they kind of have a little bit of, be, you know, of both worlds, right? So right. depending upon how they manage this and, and, and how they kind of let this play out, there's a lot of room and a lot of potential here. Um, now, I didn't buy any of the MLB baseball NFT stuff just because I'm waiting for the other stuff. I'm waiting for the Star Wars. I'm waiting for Marvel. Like, I'm waiting for the things that I'm interested <laughs> in, right? And, and that's when I'll I'll make a move as far as actually purchasing, you know, some of the NFTs and the cards and whatever they're doing because I want to do that. But for me, at the moment, the thing I'm waiting for, again, supposed to be third, fourth quarter is when Topps actually announces that they're, you know, they're going to be an IPO and that are available you know what I mean? For people to actually purchase, you know, stock. And, and that's what I'm waiting for. That's what I really want to do. And then, you know, it's interesting too, because I've told Eric about this. Like I bought, I bought Funko like a while ago. Um, and I bought it again, just because it was fun. I thought it'd be just fun to say, you know, I own a little bit of Funko. Why not? You know, like, it's just fun, right? The stock wasn't too terribly expensive. just kind of a silly thing. And I like them. Like I like the little Funko characters. Talked about them here on the show before, about how much I liked them. And I eventually got to this point where I was like, I should just own some of this stock because I think it's fun. So that's what I did. Um, and they have experienced uh, a little bit of positive movement. And a lot of it's been because of their recent move into NFTs, which is what I like about tops here. So it's interesting to see. We'll see how this all, you know, it's just like fact of Winter Soldier. We'll see how this all plays out, right? Like, <laughs> right. But, um, but I think it's kind of cool and it's kind of fun. And I think it's neat too, because I think you make a good point, Eric, about how, Tops is help, helping NFTs to go mainstream, you know, right. because that again, that brand awareness for Tops, and yeah, you know, I think most people collected baseball cards at one point, you know what I mean? And, and it it just helps to kind of bring that along and help people go, Oh, okay, all right, well, I'll buy some digital base cards, baseball cards, why not? You know, I'll buy some digital Star Wars or Marvel cards, you know, why not? You know, so I'm really curious to see how this is going to work. I think the only thing about this so far I found weird was when I watched a little promo video. For how the baseball card thing works and then at one point it looks like it's some kind of weird video game thing or something and there's animation i was just like i don't know that's kind of weird so that was the only <laughs> part of it so far that, that i didn't know how to react to so interesting hmm. yeah i guess it, we'll see we'll see if this catches on or not it'll be it, it, this is something that's going to be happening in real time so it'll be interesting to see april 20th you know it's right around the corner yeah, very cool, very cool. But like I said, again, for me, I'm waiting for the Marvel NFTs. That's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for the Star Wars. You know, I'm waiting for those other things. That that's you know, it'll be interesting too because there are other valuable licenses out there that could be moved in this space as well. I know that uh, Cryptozoic has had the rights to do, you know, the DC trading cards for a very long time. So I'm really curious to see, like, at some point down the road, you know, we get another company that makes a similar announcement. You know, they managed to pick up the license to one of these other things. And, you know, maybe we have a similar thing where you could buy, you know, digital DC comics collectibles, you know, and, and kind of hold on to those as NFTs as well. You know, I wouldn't mind owning some Batman stuff that's NFT. That sounds kind of fun, you know. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, th this is an emerging market. And we'll see if it's, you know, if it sinks or swims. You know, we're going to be, we're going to be, we're going to know pretty soon. We're going to know pretty soon. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Do we have anything else for this week's Collector's Corner? Or are we ready to move on to the next segment? No, that was that was it for me for Collector's Corner. All right. Very cool. All right. So we're going to go into pop culture news. 
You may be asking yourself, what do you mean by pop culture news? We're talking about anything that's interesting that's happening in the world of pop culture. At the very least, uh, you know, movie news, TV, rumors, all this kind of fun stuff. You know, but at the very least, we hope it's something that you find will find worthy of discussion. That's what we like to talk about here on the pop culture news. And I did write all these bumpers down and, and get them down a little bit better. Maybe I'll do that for <laughs> next week. Um, but anyhow, yeah. So for pop culture news, I do have something I want to talk about. Do you mind if I go first, Eric? Not at all. Not at all. All right. Very cool. Let me go ahead and share my screen here real quick. Um, this is kind of kind of breaking news, I guess. Um, and then this is actually coming from the original source that seemed to be breaking it. Um, so this is coming from uh, Murphy's Multiverse, um, where I'd actually heard this reported about was actually on Den of Geek, and they were actually citing this as one of the original sources. Um, and I know this was kind of making the rounds on Twitter, um, but this is by uh, Joseph Aberl. Again, this is rumor, everyone. Remember, this is rumor. Okay, this is not an announcement. We don't know if this is really happening. You should only take this as purely as rumor, okay? But headline has, says here, rumor, Wolverine anthology series in development for Disney+. Plus. That's kind of a big deal. So we're not going to do the whole article. We're just going to hit the high points here. We'll have a little bit of a discussion. So it's been a few months since the Illuminati revealed that the X-Men are potentially making their return under the title The, Mut the Mutants. By the way, to revisit the New Mutant debacle for just half a second. I don't understand why, and this is more streaming wars, but for reasons that don't make any sense, you can now go watch all the Wesley Snipe Blade movies and New Mutants on HBO Max. Doesn't make any sense, but that's where they are. If you want to watch New Mutants, you wanted to stream it, you don't want us to pay for it, HBO Max, where you want to go. If you're going, I want to rewatch Blade Trinity that Dave was just talking about, HBO Max also where you want to go back to the article we haven't heard anything about the franchise and marvel studios plans for them since well the latest rumor may be hinting at the return of one icon wolverine hugh jackman made logan one of the central figures of 20th century fox's franchise it was uncertain if kevin feige would try to take a unique approach and leave him out since the character has become synonymous with the actor that'd be a huge mistake by the way i keep selling everyone that massively stupid huge mistake to just leave wolverine sitting on the sidelines please don't <laughs> do that that'd be so stupid well that hashtag show reports that marvel studios is an early development on a wolverine centric disney plus show i don't know why these ads are giving us all these provocative pictures all of a sudden <laughs> now the thing that makes it rather interesting is that they claim that the series will be an anthology series the first season aims to adapt the iconic Weapon X story and generally act as his origin within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The project is in the very early stages of development, so there is no talent attached in any way. That hashtag show believes they might be aiming to reveal something during this year's D23 event, which is, a, is interesting given that it has been canceled. Hmm. So this is all rumor. Again, all rumor. This is all rumor. So that's the only way you should look at it as is just as rumor. Um, but I find it interesting. I find it interesting um, that one of the things they highlight in here is the Weapon X storyline. So if those of you who have been watching here on the Retrogues Live, if you've been paying attention, um, I spent one episode in particular talking about how 
you can pick up a lot of those Weapon X comics that actually ran in Marvel Comics Presents relatively inexpensively and that they might be something worth holding on to. And I've been specifically highlighting Wolverine, saying this is an important book you can pick up relatively inexpensively. Go get it now if you want to move into that space. Well, if you're just a Wolverine fan, you think it'd be fun to own a piece of Wolverine, right? Or secondly, if you want to try and hold on to a few things to see if you can flip them down the road, maybe get them graded, right? Whatever. Um, I was talking about how important Weapon X is to Wolverine's story. Well, here's even more ammunition that it, that if you've been thinking about picking up Marvel Comics Presents, the Weapon X storyline, now is your time to go pick them up. Because as this rumor begins to pick up steam, those books are not going to stay super affordable for too much longer. So the time to go out and try and pick those up is probably now. If you wait too much longer, it's probably going to be too late. I wonder if this rumor will actually have an impact on those those titles, you know, already. It'll be interesting to see as as the week goes on and if this rumor starts to gain more traction, if it will have an effect, you know, if it'll start bumping those books up. Um, this this is definitely something that I think a lot of people are interested in, uh, whether it's happening or not. I think people want to see a Wolverine uh, series. They they want to see the MCU version of Wolverine. I think that's highly anticipated. So I think even if this isn't true, people are still going to talk about it and the buzz is going to continue. Yeah, I, I think so too. And, you know, the, it's interesting because they, they now refer to it as the Marvel bump. And it, it's sort of like on the collectible side, in, in the comic sphere anyway, um, how rumors and announcements obviously relating to, you know, MCU movies and shows can affect, you know, and obviously, you know, have a lot to do with actually um, causing books to go up in value, right? The hype and, machine, as Hollywood Jackson calls it. That's exactly yeah. right. The hype machine. Yeah, for sure. Sometimes right. these rumors, I, I think there's they're, they're actually put out there just to see what kind of buzz they get. Like there might not be anything. There might not even be like a script or even like a story outline or even a tagline yet. But somebody out there at Disney is saying, you know what? Let's see. Do people really want this? Let's see how these these little leaks will work. Will people really start talking about it? Will the hype machine go into overdrive? You know, I think that is part of it. Absolutely. Right. And and so we'll see. We'll see how this goes. But, you know, I feel like Wolverine is definitely um, a, a good bet. You know what I mean? In terms of like, if you want to try and pick up some comics to hold on to, um, just like I feel like Rogue is too, you know, but but also, too, remember, my own personal taste is is weighing into this as well. I'm a big Wolverine fan. I'm a huge Rogue fan. I've talked about that before. Um, so also, but so if you follow along in this journey, you know what I mean? You're, you're also kind of following along on, on my particular taste, right? The things I think are interesting or whatever. Um, but um, well, Hollywood Jackson has, has another rumor there. Picard versus Norris next on Fox. Uh, <laughs> You well, heard it here it, first. You heard it here first. Yeah. If, if, <laughs> I'll just tell you right now, I, 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 I'm going to put my money on Chuck Norris. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting, too, because like I said, it's weird because a lot of the Marvel characters who experienced success on the big screen first, they didn't have as much of a Marvel bump. You know, Blade, a lot of his books are still kind of within range, you know, like... I mean, you're still talking 40 to 80 to $100, but a lot of his early key issues, a lot of his early appearances, they're still relatively affordable. 
a lot of Wolverine stuff is kind of out of hand just because of, you know, Hulk 181. Hulk 181 is considered to be, you know, like, like one of those premier, you know, blue chip, you know, books to buy and hold, right? right. Like that, that's what, you know, Hulk 181, the first, of, you know, not first full appearance, whatever of Wolverine, that's what that is, right? Um, so what's interesting about these other things, um, as they get talked about, you know, the Weapon X storyline has never really experienced the Marvel bump. You know what I mean? Uh, a lot of Rogue's early stuff has never really experienced the Marvel bump. Um, but it's going to start. So if you like these characters, if you're into this, as these rumors begin to circulate, as these things begin to gain steam, um, now is going to be the time to take a look at picking some of these books up. Because as these rumors and the real announcements happen, these X-Men books, they're going to start, they're going to get out of hand really fast. And, you know, and I've heard a lot of people complaining about the collectibles market. Well, comics are getting so expensive. It's like, well, if you have expensive taste, they are, you know. Right. But if if you're looking at some of the stuff that we're recommending here, you can pick these books up relatively cheap and you can still get them. But the trick's going to be you need to start doing it sooner than later. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Right. There's definitely there's definitely an effect that these announcements have uh, on the collectibles market. There's no doubt about it, even if it's not true. <laughs> right. That's it's true. Yeah. Made up. <laughs> well, it's like it's like um, Hulk number one with the Red Hulk. That book has been going up in value. And then secondly, too, um, Thunderbolts number one um, has been going up in value because of these persistent rumors that the Thunderbolts and, you know, General Ross is going to get turned into Red Hulk. There's all these crazy rumors flying around about all this stuff that was supposedly going to be introduced and happen in Falcon and Winter Soldier. What I can tell you right now, as far as I can tell, none of that's going to happen. Just like as we got towards the end of WandaVision, there's no way any of that crazy stuff people were talking about when Mephisto and stuff was going to happen because it just, we were too far, we were too far into it and it just wouldn't really have made sense. Um, so it's kind of like with this right now, like, you know, we can kind of see where this story is going and, and I don't think Thunderbolt Ross turning into the Red Hulk and beating down U.S. agents going to happen in the last episode. Okay. It's just, there's <laughs> not enough time to set that up. You know what I mean? So there's no way in the world that's going to happen, but those books have already experienced the Marvel bump and, and there's no real legitimate anything to, to go behind those, you know? So it's, it's interesting. It's it is. It is. It, the weird things happen because of, of the shows and, and because it's rampant speculation and rumors. It's it's interesting to see how that has an effect. Well, speaking of other rumors, although I think this one has been picking up more steam and is becoming more and more of a legit uh, story. Uh, when I first saw this, it was a rumor. But uh, this is from uh, the Vulcan Reporter.com. And it's, it's a Star Wars Detours animated series finally set to release for on Disney Plus after a nine-year purgatory, says the Vulcan reporter has learned that Disney plans to finally release the Star Wars Detours animated series on a Disney Plus streaming service. The CGI animated comedy Star Wars series never saw the light of day since its initial announcement in 2012. While by default not part of the current Star Wars canon, as it was, as it was before the Disney buyout, it is also starkly different from the other animated shows in the universe. In fact, the series is a parody of the entire franchise, offering a comedic take on what happened between the prequel trilogy, Revenge of the Sith, and the original trilogy, A New Hope. 
And you can see the, the sort of bizarre animation style that this series is going to have. So it's kind of funny to me. I vaguely, 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 like vaguely, 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 vaguely remember this as a thing. I think it was the Han Solo image because I've seen the Han Solo image related to some of these these other articles uh, related to the story. And I do remember that image, that weird version of Han Solo that they're going to have in this one. Um, and I, I guess I just thought it was a cancel project. Apparently they made like 30 or 40 episodes of this thing and never released it which is kind of crazy to me, you know, especially when you, you know, you think about how animation works and everything. So the, uh, the big rumor is, and, and it seems to be uh, more and more legit by the day that they're going to finally put this out on Disney plus. And I don't know, did, did you ever even heard of this thing, Dave? Star Wars. Had, detours? Yeah, I'd heard about it. And I know at one point there was like clips or something from detours that was kind of making the rounds like on, it was YouTube. leaked. It was leaked. Yeah, and like, then they, they took it down. Yeah, about like it's like a billion. Years it was actually ago. Uh, Weird Al's character. Weird Al has a character in this thing. Yeah. Well, here's here's my whole thing on it. Like, the thing that's interesting about some of this older back catalog Star Wars stuff coming to Disney Plus is I've noticed, like, right now, like if you go to the Star Wars tab, you can watch Caravan of Courage. You could watch Ewoks. You you mentioned that before, Eric. There's a lot of fun like Star Wars uh content like for example they don't have the holiday special but they have i think they call it like a brave wookie or something like that but they yeah, have the actual animated segment actually from the holiday special which was the first appearance of boba fett right they have all, all that stuff now where you can go watch it so you know like that this will be an interesting curiosity for people who want to see it um i say right now this is not for me i mean i'll go rewatch the animated thing from the holiday special, you know, I'll go watch one of the Ewok movies they put on there now, or I'll just go watch this Ewoks, right? I I I like to see droids, right? Um, I'd like well, to, I'd really like to rewatch droids at this point. Yeah, dro droids apparently has been is going to be coming out, but it wasn't part of that initial, uh, you know, initial uh, uh, pack catalog of stuff that came out. In fact, I think I, I think it, but the way it might work out, detours and droids might come out around the same time. But I will say this. I do think it would be interesting to review at least the first episode with you and compare it to uh, um, Lower Decks. Okay. I mean, I, if you want to talk about it for the show, I'm down. So I, I don't have any issues with that. I'm just saying just I remember having seen those clips way back when, and it, I found it kind of weirdly disturbing. Well, well one I, of the things I think is interesting is... the disturbance in the comedy. <laughs> I, think that, I, I think there's a reason this never came out right what i can't understand is why there's like 40 episodes of this that were actually produced that's what i can't understand like you with animation that's like unheard of you know that's absolutely unheard of uh they don't do that uh you're, you're gonna put out a few episodes see what happens and, and then go from there uh to produce so many episodes right right off the bat uh, especially if this is geared towards adults right that just seems really weird to me and then they, they never saw the light of day i think there's a reason it never saw the light of day but I am interested to see if their approach is any better than Lower Decks because my, my one of my fundamental criticisms of Lower Decks is ultimately I felt like having a parody of your own property, you know, of your own property that you own. Where it's, so in other words, it's not a true parody. It's still a, a corporate thing, right? It's, it's the actual IP owner that's doing their own parody. 
it, I don't think it worked at all for lower decks. And I'm interested to see if, if possibly Lucasfilm made it work all those years ago in 2012. I'm just interested. Well, if, if anything else, it's just a curiosity to me. Let, let me just go ahead and say it right now before anybody else says it. Um, if, if it ends up being like that stuff that I saw way back when, let me go ahead and coin the phrase, I find the lack of comedy disturbing. <laughs> I find the lack of comedy disturbing. <laughs> the one thing I'll say is I don't really like the artwork very much. It looks really weird to me. I mean, some of them, some of the images look better than others. I think Han looks okay, you know, for a parody version of Han. But like this version of Darth Vader, I mean, just looks weird, you know? Um, so we'll see. I, th th again, I think this will be interesting in the future if it does indeed come out for us, at least for us to review, you know, a couple episodes. I don't know how long they are. Um, but, uh, you know, just like I said, if anything, just to compare it to Lower Decks and see if it's any better or, or worse. If it is possible for an IP owner to make their own parody, I'm wondering if that's actually possible. And well, make it I think good. And make it good. Well, I, I think we're going to see that it's probably not possible. I, <laughs> no, I, I remember watching some of that stuff and it originally leaked. You know, there, there's something kind of kitschy fun about like, you know, coast to coast, like Space Ghost, coast to coast and stuff, you know. Things that do kind of point, you know, poke fun at themselves, you know what I mean? That kind of works, right? Um, but I remember watching that stuff when it leaked on YouTube or whatever it was, and it was really strange and and hard to understand what it was and how it was supposed to relate, even though it's not supposed to. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I, I like I, that. You're, and by the way, you're almost describing lower decks as well. You really yeah. are. Like, like it, it just. There's something about that entire concept of you making your own parody of your work that just—it's it, disingenuous just to begin with, in my in my opinion, you know. So it's like, well, parodies are made by other people, you know what I mean? So that—that's my—I guess that's my point, my ultimate point there. It's like a true parody, you know, or even homage is done by other people. It's not done by the people that already work on the real thing. Right, that doesn't make any sense to me. But we'll see. We'll see. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're totally wrong. Maybe this will be awesome. Mm. <laughs> I'll say it again. I find the lack of comedy disturbing. <laughs> You're gonna have to I file find the that. lack of comedy we'll disturbing. So I have to review it as the emperor. Get there you go. Back out. I like that. I like that. We can yep. definitely go with that. We can. We can Once more. We shall have comedy in the galaxy. All right. Um, <laughs> and there will be laughter. All right. So, or maybe not. Maybe there'll be tears. Um, <laughs> well, that's interesting. I, I had no idea they were going to drag detours out. It kind of hurts my heart a little bit. I wonder if they can survive that brand damage, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, I, oh, God. I remember Stephan when it leaked. It was so bad. All right. Okay. Enough about that. I'm so shocked they're doing that. All right. Um, I mean, if, if they're going to do that, just put the holiday special on Disney Plus. What are you worried well, about? I, I want the holiday special so bad. I mean, I, I want the Blu-ray. You know, the the, the no, not, I want the 4K version of the holiday special. That's really what I want. And until yeah. I have that, you know, I, I'm just not going to be a happy person. Right. All right. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else for uh, pop culture? No, no. I just uh, I do have something for streaming wars, though. All right. So uh, 
you want me to set it up or you just want to go into it? Uh, we can just go into it. We're, we're, we're kind of getting, All right, okay. getting running out of time anyway. We're kind of at the All right. here. So um, I did have this, this article that actually came out almost right after our last show, but this is pretty relevant, I thought, because this fits into a lot of my streaming horse coverage that we've done on, the, on, on this segment and where I ultimately feel the streaming wars is going to go. So this is an article from the Los Angeles Times. I'm trying to see if I can find the date because it was April 8th. Okay, so it came out like right when we were doing our show. It says, uh, Sony becomes a top supplier for Netflix. How that plays into the streaming wars. It says, at a time when every other studio wants to be a Netflix competitor, Sony Pictures has, de has decided to become one of its top suppliers. Culver City-based Sony has signed a multi-year deal to release movies on Netflix after they hit theaters and home video, the company said on Thursday. The agreement replaces Sony's previous pay TV pack with premium cable network Stars, which is owned by Lionsgate. Stars had been the exclusive premium cable home for Sony movies for more than a decade. The deal begins with Sony's 2022 lineup and will stretch through 2026. It will include the upcoming releases Morbius, uh, where the crawdads sing, uh, Bullet Train, followed by feature future installments of of the series, including Venom, Spider-Man, Jumanji, and Bad Boys. So I think this is really, really interesting. Uh, for people that are not aware of this, Sony does actually have their own streaming service. It's called Crackle. But Crackle is an ad-based streaming service. Uh, I guess sort of similar to Peacock, although Peacock has a premium version. Uh, whereas Crackle does not. Crackle is only ad-based. And Crackle tends to have older stuff on it. It doesn't tend to have like Spider-Man or things like that, anything that's kind of new or exciting. You know, they, they kind of put like their old stuff on it for some reason. They just never really promoted it for whatever reason. Um, I think this is really interesting because I've always felt that eventually what, what's going to happen with the streaming wars is there's going to be consolidation. One way or another, there's going to be consolidation. Exactly how that looks, I don't know. I think in a lot of ways, it's going to be cable all over again. But I think some sort of consolidation is going to occur. In this, this scenario, what you have is Netflix, which is the you know, absolute king of streaming. There's no doubt about it. Although Disney Plus is definitely graining ground. In fact, Disney Plus is actually anticipated to overtake Netflix in the next, uh, I think, decade or so. But it, it's interesting to see that Netflix, as the dominant player, has made this deal with Sony, who doesn't have that big popular streaming service in the streaming wars as of yet. And it looks like they have no intention to go that route. So instead they're partnering with Netflix. And I find this to be really interesting and, and possibly could be a real indication of where the future of the streaming wars is going. Uh, because as you have some of these channels, just not eventually some of these channels are going to go away. They're just not going to make it, but that doesn't mean the studios are going to go away and they're still going to need a place to put their stuff. And it's really interesting to see almost this full circle thing going on because Netflix never used, you know, when Netflix first came out, it didn't make its own content. Netflix built its brand on other people's content. And to see them actually sort of going back to that a little bit is really interesting to me because Netflix has basically said their way forward is basically making content, content, content. Like they want to do a new movie every week. That's what Netflix wants, wants to do. That's their goal. But it's interesting to see that Sony has made this deal with Netflix. And I'm curious, uh, Dave, if you'd heard about this and if you think it has any wider implications for the streaming wars. Well, it's interesting. Um, it, um, yeah, it does. Um, 
Well, here's the thing I was looking at because I was trying to remember because I thought I'd heard there was some deal or something that had gone down. Um, and um, I don't know if you'd heard this or not, um, but it wasn't something we reported. But apparently Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment basically owns Crackle. Um, wow, that's crazy. Um, yeah, so... I mean, it makes sense. I mean, like you said, that's how Netflix built, you know, itself up, you know, was by basically um, being a, a place where people could experience, watch and enjoy other people's content. Right. Like that was what built them. You know, they 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 had, you know, all the you know, the genre shows you wanted to watch. I remember the only thing it didn't have was Space 1999. That was the first time I went over and, and bought a subscription to Hulu was because Hulu had Space 1999 and Netflix did not. So, um, and it's interesting that Sony's okay going, all right, well, well, we'll supply content. And you know, it's weird because no one really talks about like what Disney is doing with their extra content, right? That they don't feel really fits or works on Disney+. Plus. You know, like I just said, uh, they made a big deal out of it. Well, HBO Max did. Disney didn't. But, um, you know, New Mutants is over on HBO Max. You know, the the three Blade Wesley Snipe movies, you know, you know, everyone's anticipating Blade coming to the MCU. You want to watch the old Blade movies? It's on HBO Max. So it'll be interesting to see kind of as we move forward, because even though they quote unquote are at war with each other, right, for that streaming dollar, at the same point, too, they are kind of allowing their content to go out, either because of previous agreements or whatever. But, you know, a lot of this content is on all over the place. You know what I mean? I, I think I mentioned before, I thought it was interesting because Star Trek, right? Um, the original series, you know, original Star Trek episodes, you know, next gen episodes. It's interesting because, you know, obviously, if you have, I guess it's Paramount Plus now, I'm assuming you can still watch that content there. But you can watch original series Star Trek still on Netflix. You can watch Sorry. original series Star Trek over on um, Amazon Prime. You know, so it's curious as they do war with each other, how they're still kind of supporting each other at the same time. Yeah, I would say in this case, this is definitely a loss for Disney Plus because you would have thought that they would try to make some sort of deal so they get those Spider-Man movies uh, on their own platform, especially when they're considered part of the MCU but that didn't happen. So this is definitely a victory for Netflix. Well, and, and it's weird too, because in addition to that, you know, Netflix still, I know, I, I know Iron Fist is still on there, but I think Netflix still has a lot of their Marvel shows still sitting on Netflix too, that Netflix produced. Um, it, it's going to be interesting as we move forward, because as much as, you know, I think the companies want their streaming service to be, this is the only place you can go for this content. I don't think it's ever really going to be like that. You know, I mean, I don't think it's ever going to be, this is your one stop for this one thing. I mean, if, if Disney can't find a way to make it work, right? Um, I don't know if anybody's going to be able to make it work. Um, because it's really curious about that. I, you know, I, and I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I watch a lot of kind of rumor type shows, you know, on, on YouTube and stuff and whatever. And it's weird because there's been all these strange rumors circulating about that sort of the agreement and the deal between uh, Disney and Sony over Spider-Man. Like they do have a way forward, but that 
it's not all gone the way that they still want it anyway. And that there may right. be a little bit more going on behind the scenes than that we are not privy to. So, and I feel like this kind of substantiates a little bit of those rumors in a weird way. Yeah, Sony kind of has has put itself in an interesting and unique position because they 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 license different things. Like obviously, the, the Spider Verse is the, is their thing. Um, yet they you know they they do try to play nice with with uh, Disney at times with, with that license. But at the same time, because they don't have their own sort of premier streaming service, they can kind of like shop around. And so ultimately, it sounds to me that Netflix gave them the better deal, and that's what they did. I'm sure. I'm sure at some point Disney was involved in this discussion because I'm sure they wanted that content. Certainly, they want those Spider-Man movies, but uh, didn't happen. And it'll be interesting too because um, probably the only the uh, when you talk about the MCU, you know, big things that are left that could still happen, right? That could get you know Marvel fans super excited. Um, as hyped as everyone is, and, and as much as everyone loves the Fantastic Four, I be I really feel like the big seminal moment for Marvel coming to the MCU is going to be when Galactus and Surfer show up. Um, like yeah. I really, I really feel like that's that, you know, that's going to be like your Infinity War type moment, right? It could be that big, that huge, that exciting. Um, you know, everyone's just waiting for the announcement about what's happening with the X-Men coming to the MCU, that's going to be a big, big deal. Kind of like when Spider-Man finally came to the MCU, that's going to be huge. Right. Yeah. And then the last really super big moment, I think everyone's anticipating, hoping for crossing their fingers is Spider-Man and Venom, you know, and it's so funny because that will be a Sony operation. You know what I mean? Because they yeah. Sony owns those characters as far as the movie rights is concerned, so it's really interesting and it's strange because it it goes back to highlight we were just talking about about the deals and the streaming wars and 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 how the rights and all this minutia and everything um, affects you know what's happening with the streaming wars in weird ways that you wouldn't expect because that that seriously I mean I would put. Spider-Man squaring off against Venom, you know, even though that won't be quote unquote a big MCU moment, that is a potentially big MCU moment, like the X-Men coming to the MCU. Like I I, I really honestly believe that. I mean, what do you think, Eric? No, I, I think so. I mean, obviously it's going to be more directly tied into what Sony's doing, at least at this point. Um, but we'll see. I think it's kind of weird. I, I still haven't seen Venom, so I, I'm not very well educated uh, in that regard because I haven't seen it. And I still I want to, but I I still just I just haven't got around to it. It's not because I don't want to watch it or I heard bad things or anything like that. Um, but I am kind of weirded out a little bit that, as far as I understand, they didn't tie it in uh, to um, the Spider-Man movies really at all. You know, so I don't know why that is. I don't know why they they're, they're doing that approach. Maybe they're trying to build their own Spider-Verse and they, they're trying to kind of emulate what the MCU has done, establish each of the characters individually, and then, you know, smash them all together in some big epic. I could definitely see that as a possibility. Um, but uh, I haven't actually seen the movie, so I don't know if it's good, if it's bad or anything like that, if, I, if I'm going to be enjoying that direction. I certainly didn't like Spider-Man 3. and I didn't really like the d- direction they took with Venom in that. So we'll just see. We'll just have to see. I, I know that there's a lot of people that like that movie. Uh, I just haven't seen it. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed uh, the Venom movie. I had a lot of fun with it. I I own it digital and physical, and 
And uh, I, I really, really like that movie a lot. And, and I do feel like that that's what they're doing, Eric, is they're trying to get kind of everybody in place and then do like an event type thing. If, if they decide to bring all those characters together down the road. Um, and I thought they did a great job with Venom. I had a lot of fun with it. I mean, it is a little weird. It doesn't connect into Spider-Man. Um, but it doesn't mean that they couldn't do it down the road. And especially with the, you know, the actual Spider-Verse movie, the animated film, it really does kind of give you a precedent and, and kind of point you in a direction where down the road, if they want to do that live action, if they do establish these characters exist, existing in their own thing and then have kind of like with Spider-Verse, a similar series of events, and then they can introduce Miles Morales, maybe in a similar yeah. sort of fashion, and then they can have you know Venom screw up against Spider-Man, you know what I mean, and, and bring all these disparate elements together. Um, they could definitely do that, and I think people would love that and have a lot of fun with it. So, um, so we'll see. But it, but I, it, it's just interesting. Like I said, it's just so strange to me to think about one of those big MCU moments that would have everybody just super hyped, excited to go to the movie theater or, or turn on Disney Plus or whatever it is. One of the big MCU moments it is going to be when Spider-Man eventually finally, you know, squares off against Venom in some form. And um, it's just so funny when you think about it, because in my mind, I'm thinking that's going to be a big MCU moment, but it's a Sony moment. Right. right. That's the thing that's really weird about it. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think he's long gone. But Eric uh, Perry did say excellent conversations. However, it's nearly midnight where I'm at heading out. Have a great night, Eric. I think you're long gone, but thank you very much for commenting. You had some great comments. Uh, we're really happy to see you uh, on the show, and I hope you come back. I hope you enjoyed your time here, and you come back next week. Yeah, it was fun having you here. Thank you for your comments. Um, all right, so do you have anything else for Streaming Wars? Or I am done. All right, okay. So just go ahead and go to the outro. So um, I want to thank you all for hopefully watching or listening to this episode of the Retro Rogues Live. Again, my name is Dave Beatty. I've been one of your hosts. If you're curious to see what I'm up to these days, because unfortunately I don't draw as many comic books as I do, I do, however, draw and print t-shirts. You can check those over, check those out over at KirbyTees.com. That's K-I-R-B-Y-T-S.com. As well as even possibly considering purchasing a Retro Rogues Live t-shirt and supporting what we're doing here at the show. We would greatly appreciate your support. Along those same lines, if you enjoy the Retro Rogues Live, please tell your friends, please tell your family about it, please like, share, and subscribe. We would greatly appreciate your support in that manner as well. I want to thank Eric Alexander, my great co-host, for as always providing his unique perspective and opinions on all the fun topics that we have discussed this evening. Eric, please tell the folks, hope you're watching or listening at home, where they can learn more about you on the interwebs. Well, I am most active on Twitter. You can find me at BaseGod14. That's at B-A-S-S-G-O-D-1-4. Uh, my DMs are always open. Uh, I am more than happy to get a DM from you. But if you comment on the Twitter feed, that's obviously the official Twitter, so you'll most likely hear from me. It's also the official YouTube and the official Twitch. So if you comment on those different venues, more likely than not, you will be hearing from me. Um, so uh, please give me your suggestions. Um, we are going to actually, uh, when I get off the air, I have to have uh, talk with Dave about what we're going to be doing next week because we had some different ideas. So we'll, we'll, we're going to try to figure that out. But again, we are always open to your suggestions. I know one thing that's looming on the horizon is obviously more Falcon to Winter Soldier. 
There's also uh, Mortal Kombat. Unfortunately, those things are coming out at the same time, so we got to kind of figure out what we're going to do. But uh, if you have any suggestions beyond that, please let us know because we definitely want to be giving you the content that you want to hear, and we want to develop our audience, and we want to be responsive to our audience, unlike some shows, which are not. So uh, Jane says, great show, guys. And with that, I will leave her with the last word. Thank you very much. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Retro Rogues Live podcast. You can learn more about Eric Alexander and Five the Live show on either Twitch, YouTube, or Twitter by searching for BaseGod14. That's B-A-S-S-G-O-D-1-4 on either YouTube, Twitch, or Twitter. If you are curious about co-host Dave Beatty, you can see some of his art, find social media links, and so much more at his website, DaveBeatty.com. That's D-A-V-E-B-E-A-T-Y dot com. If you enjoyed this episode of the Retro Rogues Live, be sure to like, share, and subscribe.